All right, here we go in three, two, one. Hey everyone, what's going on? Welcome to a brand new edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And right now I'm going to be bringing you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. Hope everyone had a wonderful weekend. A lot to get into today that I'm going to be talking about. I'm of course going to be doing my WandaVision recap. I, I'm sorry I didn't do it on Friday. I was really busy on Friday to, to, do, to do a WandaVision recap. So I'm going to do a spoiler and non-spoiler review today. And I'm also going to have my good friend Jason Abdow to talk about it all. So we're going to get into a deep dive into the finale, into the overall season, our experience expectations, what we thought, and what to look forward to next, especially with Falcon and Winter Soldiers just two weeks away from premiering on Disney+. Plus. So the MCU isn't dying just yet on the Disney Plus streaming service. It's just going to keep on going for the foreseeable future. So we'll get into that a little later on. I'm also going to be doing a box office update on the weekend. There was the New York City theaters opening up, so I'm going to be talking about that. Some new character posters regarding both Zack Snyder's Justice League and the Falcon and the Winter Soldier that I'm going to be talking about along with a lot more but the first thing that I do want to talk about is to get some award season items off the table right now and yesterday was the one week from the Golden Globe Awards and last night was the Critics Choice Awards and it, that is kind of the next precursor in a way to what we could expect come just really a, a week from now with the Academy Award nomination set to take place so there's a lot of anticipation on a lot of these precursor awards happening right now. And the Critics' Choice Awards, sometimes they're very uneven when it comes to predicting winners. But again, it gauges the temperature of the room, what people are expecting. It is an entirely different different voting body than what is going to be awarding winners and nominations at the Oscars. But again, it's a precursor and an indication of what other voting bodies might be thinking of when it comes to selecting their nominees and their winners later on. So I'm not going to be talking about the television side of things because we would be here for a long, long time and the show is already going to be jam-packed enough. So I'm just going to get into the the film side, the film category in a lot of the major winners. So there were some surprises that happened, some that were unexpected, but again, I don't think we'll lend a lot of huge credence to the foreshadowing of awards season. But again, it's nice to kind of see new films or different films get the kind of love that I know that the critics loved throughout 2020. So let's dive into it right now and start off with Best Supporting Actor. And the winner of that category is the solidified frontrunner right now to, I think, get a nomination and also be the frontrunner to win the Best Supporting Actor. And that is Daniel Kaluuya for Judas and the Black Messiah. And he won the Golden Globe a week ago. And I think, again, this is the beginning of that Daniel Kaluuya train. And again, not just a nomination, but a win for playing Fred Hampton in this film i think he is the perennial again perennial favorite and he deserves it because it's 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 a great role that he did i think he was the the major force behind that film lakeith stanfield was amazing but when you think of judas and the black messiah you think of the role of fred hampton and what Daniel kaluuya did in bringing that role and that person who's an actual figure to life in that movie and then going to best supporting actress kind of continuing to muddy the waters a little bit and what 
what I think is the most unpredictable category. I was talking to Jason about it last week, and it's true now where we don't really know who the winner of this category is, who the front runner is, or really who could potentially be nominated in this category. I think it's the wild card this season. And the winner of this wild card category in Best Supporting Actress was Maria Bakalova for Borat's subsequent movie film, which again, when you when you think about these winners for these voting bodies, like the Hollywood Forum Press, like the Critics' Choice, I think for me personally, knowing the Critics' Choice a little bit better and knowing a lot of people that are in that group, I had an idea for who they would probably go for. So I, I had a feeling they probably wouldn't go for, well, they wouldn't go for Rosamund Pike because she wasn't in that category. But the grandmother from Minari was nominated, which again, this could have been the starting of that role for her maybe getting some wins under her belt. But it went to Maria Bakalova, who really is and has become the darling of this award season so far. And again, the critics loved her. She was really a critic's darling as well. So it was no surprise that she won this award. But I'm happy for her because, again, after I think the big disappointment of not winning Best Actress in a Musical or Comedy at last week's Golden Globes, this was a big boost for her, for the campaign, for her moving forward. And I think this could help her in terms of the Academy, again, maybe seeing her victory speech or, or seeing that she's winning some awards right now and getting back on that horse to being maybe, again, not just a frontrunner to get nominated, but also a front runner to maybe win the Oscar. But again, I think that is a little bit far away for me right now. She just needs to get nominated and that would be a big win because again I was talking to Jason about it last week and saying that scarcely right now the story of Maria Bakalova is trending in the way of Jennifer Lopez, where again, Jennifer Lopez is a superstar. The the, the trajectory of Maria Bakalova and Jennifer Lopez is not in the same level. However, when it comes to kind of being this darling of award season, this underdog story, someone who isn't really as recognized in movies and film, and again, even though Jennifer Lopez has a big track record in other categories of entertainment, such as music, for Maria, Maria Bakalova, this is really her first major role in that terms of kind of being that underdog story. It seems like those same trajectories are following the same path and uh, again I just feel like maybe she could lose some momentum maybe the academy might not go for it and she might not get nominated which is why I'm, I'm a little scarce that it's following that same trajectory but again having this win under her belt and continuing moving forward building momentum while nomination or not not while nomination voting is still going on I think is a big win for her and hopefully this continues that road to again not being a front runner to win we'll talk about that once she she gets nominated to me that would be the big win for her right now is to get that nomination and represent borat in at the academy awards this season and then in the the category for best comedy this is a little bit of an upset because when you look at some of the nominations for the critics choice they reflected a lot of the, the nominations for the golden globes minus the nomination for music and a lot of people probably thought that this would continue borat's role of in the comedy categories of winning but instead of going with Borat's subsequent movie film, the critics decided to go with Palm Springs, which I had a feeling, again, knowing that people loved Borat, but I think a darling in the critics' eyes that wasn't getting a lot of love was Palm Springs, and I think this was the best 
platform and opportunity for that movie to garner some kind of love and appreciation and i'm happy that it did because it is a fantastic film and especially during that summer of covid when people were looking for stuff to watch a little bit more lighthearted escapism palm springs really provided that andy sandberg delivered a great performance so did Kristen maletti who is i think a great actress and she really shined in that film alongside andy sandberg and it was a really fun groundhog day s plus plot that they were really able to delve into so i think for that film to get the love that it did at the critics choice it was a perfect place for a two win and i think it in contraction to borat i think there was a lot more heart and love to this film than i think a lot of people were able to recognize Uh, a non-surpriser in my opinion when it comes to this next category best acting ensemble went to the trial of the chicago seven which i think is the front run right now when you look at the screen actors guild award for best ensemble when you you look at that film again even though Sasha Baron Cohen is getting a lot of love when it comes to award season accolation I think when you look at that movie it really is a true ensemble performance I don't think one person outshines the other they're both on an even playing field when you look at Sasha Baron Cohen Mark Rylance Yaya Abdul-Mateen II or Franklin Langella excuse me or Michael Keaton coming in for a little bit Joseph Gordon-Levitt they all bring their a-game in this film so I think that as a frontrunner for the Screen Actors Guild, and it makes sense that the critics would agree with them in the sense that the true best acting ensemble, which is a true ensemble, deserves that award, and it made sense that Trial of the Chicago 7 won that award. Best movie made for television, no surprise really, Hamilton. A lot of the critics loved it, especially for film critics that and TV critics that weren't maybe able to watch Hamilton on Broadway when it had the original cast. The, this summer, this past summer, was that opportunity when Disney Plus provided it. So I think for best movie made for television, it makes sense to give Hamilton a little bit of love, recognize it, recognize Lin-Manuel Miranda and the the, the history and the prestige that that piece of art was able to provide. So again, I'm not a big fan of Hamilton being a part of the movie award season, but I can understand it when it's in the right categories and best movie made for television. That makes sense for it to be in that category and I'm fine with it winning that award and getting some recognition. For best song, which is, I think, a little bit of a competitive category with this award season, at the Golden Globes, it was Low C from The Life of Head that won that award, and the Critics' Choice instead went with the One Night Miami song from Leslie Odom Jr. with Speak Now, which I think is the frontrunner right now to maybe win the the Oscar if it is nominated on March 15th. So that makes sense to me, One Night Miami getting that award. And then you go over to Best Director, Chloe Zhao for No. Nomadland. She is the second woman to garner that award after Catherine Bigelow in 2009. So again, this continues the train for Chloe Zhao, which who I think is the perennial front runner to not just get nominated, but to win at the Oscars for Best Director. I just think the Nomadland train for this for Best Picture is just on a roll right now. And I don't think anything's stopping it. I think it's going to become a sweep at throughout all of awards season, other than maybe the Best Acting Ensemble or or even Best Actress, but I think when it comes to Chloe Zhao, the the picture itself, I think this is just the continuing steamrolling that this film is having throughout all of award season since it was released during festival season at Venice 
and Toronto. And then best cinematography went to Nomadland as well. No surprise. I think when you look at the cinematography category in December, January, Mank was, I think, leading a lot of front runners in that category. And I think that would be my runner up if it was nominated. But the cinematography for Nomadland was just beautiful. It was gorgeous. And I think right now that is one of the front runners to be both nominated and win at the Oscars. And this is just another, again, stepping stone in seeing that actually come to a reality. And best film editing, we did have a tie in this category. Sound of Metal getting a little bit of love in film editing and also winning was Trial of the Chicago 7. And usually almost every single Critics Choice season, every single award show, every throughout the years, we usually get a tie in the category. Sometimes you'll get something in a major category like Best Actress where you had Lady Gaga and Glenn Close win for that category. Sometimes you might have something win in Best Cinematography or Best Film Editing as is the case this year. And again, it's nice to see Santa Metal get a little love. That's not Riz Ahmed. So it's, it's kind of see get that recognition. It's a, another critical darling, which I think a lot of critics love that film. And the same thing with The Trial of Chicago 7, where, again, I do think the editing in that film is a highlight. And especially when you go back to the flashback sequences that link up to the courtroom scenes and how they kind of build up that anticipation, I think is very well done. So do I think it is the front runner to win Best Film Editing? Both of these films, I don't think so. I think that's still to be determined, and we'll see what categories will get that. But again, for Sound of Metal to get some recognition, I think is very nice on their part. That again isn't Riz Ahmed because he's kind of been the uh, the poster actor, the poster child for this film, which he deservedly deserves to be. But to see other sections of the film get nominated and get recognized, like editing or cinematography or sound, which I would be shocked if it doesn't get a nomination at the Oscars this year, or Paul Reese. But for Riz Ahmed, for being that consistency throughout Sound of Metal's campaign, it's nice to see some some other recognition happen for Sound of Metal. For Best Visual Effects, the winner was Tenet from Warner Brothers, excuse me, which was great to see Tenet get that recognition because I thought the visuals were off the charts from the backwards to the forwards to the incredible bullets inverting and all of it just seems seamless and fluid and I think it definitely can be the front runner for visual effects and the interesting thing about VFX is the fact that because of COVID because of the pandemic the category of VFX is usually filled up with a lot of big blockbusters and yeah we had a few we had Wonder Woman 1984 The Invisible Man before the pandemic really reared its ugly head and you also had Tenet you had a few others but I think Tenet was the big film that utilized its visual effects the best and so I wouldn't be surprised that that becomes a front runner to win at the Oscars this year. And then Best Hair and Makeup went to Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which, uh, and it also went to Costume Design. I'll bang both of those out right now, which I think they both deserve when you look at just the makeup for Viola Davis, who looks unrecognizable as Ma Rainey. So I think that was amazing. And you also look at the, the costume design for that film and each different stylized version of these characters, the, their costumes speak to their personality. So I loved that aspect of the film. So I think both of those are very deserving for that Netflix drama. 
Best production design went to Mank, which that to me is is hands down, no surprising. Being able to recreate 1930, 1940s Hollywood and make it feel like you're transported in that realm. I think this is a category that Mank could win and be nominated for and be a front runner in to win the Oscar. Because I think if there's any chance for Mank to win Oscars, it is in the below the line. Even though I think No Man Land would be the front runner, I wouldn't count it out for cinematography. For for score, it'll be one of those co-front runners. But I think when it comes to a sure win or something that could be a realistic win, production design seems like it can be in that route because it really truly is uh, absolutely amazing for Mank to get that, and, and I think it deserves it if it does. And then for Best Original Screenplay, a little bit of a surprise with Promising Young Woman, Emerald Fennell, winning this category. And uh, again, it's a little bit of a surprise and the, the aspects of how it could win during award season in terms of being a frontrunner for original screenplay at the Oscars, I think is still up in the air. I definitely think it could get a nomination maybe, but being a frontrunner to win is I still, I think, a little bit 50-50. However, when it comes to the Critics Association, I think for Promising Young Woman, it's another critical darling where people since Sundance have been raving about this film left and right, and I loved it when I finally saw it in January, and the screenplay is a big factor to it, the way that it's able to kind of be this 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 candy-eye popping film, but have a lot of substance to it within its characters, and, and still be this revenge thriller in a way. I think it was very different and unique, and a lot of that has to go with Emerald Fernell not just being the writer, but also being the director as well. Best Adapted Screenplay is also a little bit of a surprise as Nomadland did win it with the Critics' Choice. I thought that could have gone to something such as maybe One Night in Miami or a Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Again, Nomadland has a beautiful, heartbreaking story, but a lot of it has to do with visuals and action. And the screenplay, I think, is as meaty as something like, again, like a One Night in Miami. So that one surprised me a little bit. But again, the Nomadland train is legit. It's real. And I think we're going to see that happen next Monday at the Academy Award nominations. So I think this is just another pickup for Nomadland in the the sweeping sensation that it has become during this award season. Best foreign language film was Minari, which is no surprise, which again, it won't will not be eligible for foreign language film at the Oscars this year, which means most likely because it is still a, a favorite and a darling during this award season, I think it will be the a, a major competitor at Best Picture and a lot of the other categories like acting, Best Supporting Actress, Best Supporting Actor, and maybe Best Supporting Actor as well with the, the young kid from Minority winning Best Young Actor Actress. And kind of like uh, of how I was saying that at the Golden Globes, again, it's a, a gauge for the temperature of the room and speeches can also be a big factor for how a voters could potentially see a, a nominee. And I think that's what you see in the young kid in Minari who just gave such a, a, a true heartwarming speech that just came right from the heart and, and he was crying and he was just emotional and just laying all that out to bear and just having human reactions to what was going on. I think, again, if you want highlights, that could be something that gauges its favor in adding to the Minari collection of nominations they will probably get on on nomination morning, excuse me, on Monday. Best original score 
went to Disney Pixar's Soul, which again is no surprise, and I think this makes it the front runner for that category. I'm ne- I'm never going against it again after what I did with the Golden Globes after picking Mank. So I'm not surprised that Soul won this, and I think it makes it the front runner to win this category. Best actor went to Chadwick Boseman for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. No surprise there whatsoever. Again, like I was saying with Jason last week, I think if there ever was a lock for somebody to not just get nominated but to win an Oscar in the acting category, this is it. This is just another re- reassurance that this is leading to Chadwick Boseman's widow, wife, going up there, whether it's at Dolby or at home, and accepting the Oscar on behalf of Chadwick Boseman. And she gave just another emotional, heartbreaking speech that rivaled what she did at the Golden Globes. So I think this is another slam dunk in the case for Best Actor. Best Actress, again, is a little bit up in the air when it comes to winners. Last week, we had Andrea Day surprising a lot of people in Best Actress. And this week went to Carrie Mulligan for Promising Young Woman, which, again, didn't surprise me all that much because, again, like Best Original Screenplay, a lot of people loved Promising Young Woman. And one of those reasons was not just Emerald Fennell, but also the performance by Carrie Mulligan, who a lot of people, even including myself, think it truly is the best performance of her career so far. And she just does something completely different than what she's done in her resume and her career so far. So I definitely, again, it just adds another bit of roller coaster to this category. And I think it's going to come down to what the, the Screen Actors Guild goes with. Because if they go with a Viola Davis or Frances McDormand, then it just adds more of an influx of who could potentially win that category. But if it is a Carrie Mulligan to win that award, because Andrea Day wasn't nominated, Amy Adams took that last spot. Or even if Amy Adams wins, it just adds more of an influx to the the category. But if Carrie Mulligan wins, if she is hopefully nominated for an Oscar nomination next week, then I think she become she becomes the front runner for the Oscar to win Best Actress. So I think it's going to come down to the SAG and how that will play out come nomination morning, the Screen Actors Guild Award Show, and then leading up to the Oscars. And again, like I was saying, with Nomadland for Best Director, Best Picture went to Nomadland, again, continuing the sweep that it is going through with, with award season. And I don't see anything really stopping it at, at this point. I thought the Globes would have, and Jason was saying too, if there was a chance to stop the momentum of Nomadland, it was at the Globes to add a little bit of competition, add a little bit of intrigue. But I don't. that's not the case anymore and it again with these major awards now it's kind of solidified itself as a tank that cannot be stopped at this point and again i wouldn't be surprised if that continues to roll forth with nominations at the oscars and then of course moving forward with winning at the oscars and with the win no man land best picture best director are two out of the four wins that no man land had at the critics choice last night and it is the most wins out of really the entirety of the categories the crown when it comes to television tied at four as well winning best drama series winning best actor supporting actress and actor 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 actress and best supporting actress for their incredible ensemble so again this is just another big night for nomadland Uh, a few nice surprises and a few nice guaranteed wins like maria bakalova and carrie mulligan winning and and some surefire bets like danny kaluuya and chadwick bozeman as well i think they think it, it fits nicely into what we hopefully will be getting again nomination morning and some 
some wins at the Oscar time. So what did you guys think about the Critics' Choice Award winners? Do you think that they chose the right people to win? Do you think you would have wanted to see somebody else win? Let me know what you think and leave your thoughts below. Now I want to move on to some box office news that happened this weekend. And I really I haven't talked about the box office in months, really. I didn't really even talk about it when it came to Wonder Woman 1984. I, th- I think the last time I really talked about it was when Tenet came out for Labor Day weekend. And we thought that could have been some kind of revitalization of the theatrical exhibition, which it was for a little bit, but with not a lot of stuff coming out and really no end in sight of the COVID-19 pandemic, it, it kind of turned any kind of any kind of positivity once we got more case increases and there were a lot of surges happening around the holiday time but now it seems like again we're taking those baby steps to better, brighter days ahead. And especially when it comes to the theatrical exhibition, it seems like those baby steps are taking effect. And this past weekend was the first time that New York City movie theaters were allowed to open at 25%. It was a big day for theatrical exhibition for a lot of the major major theater chains like AMC opening back up. And it was a big day. And again, that is a big milestone and another baby step in the addition for what's to come down the line. And for this past weekend, there were a lot of films that were coming out that could have garnered a little bit of box office love. And even though the theaters are back open again, the big conversation once theaters are able to open back up to bigger capacities is the fact of the the, the recovery of the box office. Because once you get people back into the theaters, that first big step is accomplished. And then come the baby steps to the next big step of getting the the strength of revenue that we had back to the days of 2018, 2019, where films were grossing a billion dollars left and right. And for a lot of these films, it's it's going to take a low, slow process. And it's about for a lot of studios willing to bite the bullet somewhat, even though you have people that are coming back out. What is it going to look like when it comes to exhibition? If you're not, if you're blockbusters that were maybe guaranteed billion dollar films in pre-pandemic times, if you're coming out in in the resurgence in a way, you will be making half of that or even less and maybe not turning in a profit because people might still be hesitant and you're not back at full capacity of people going to the movies. And I think a big case of that was what we saw with Raya and The Last Dragon this weekend, where even though it was available at Premier Access on Disney Plus for 30 additional dollars, people still went out to the movies to watch Raya and The Last Dragon. But again, it wasn't the pre-pandemic days of a Disney animated studio film is out families are going to go out in droves and watch the film. Again, you can't really do that because of the limited capacity, but people might not be unsure. If they're not vaccinated yet, they might just not want to risk it. And you saw that in the numbers this past weekend where Ryan the Last Dragon grossed $8.6 million domestically, which came in below even the expectations of maybe hitting $9 to $10 million, maybe going for that range of the, the promise and prosperity that Tom and Jerry had in pre-pandemic in time. 
times with grossing around $14 million a week ago. So I think there was some expectation that maybe it could do that. But unfortunately, it didn't do that. It grossed $17.6 million overseas, which again, is a little bit of a troubling indication considering that also, even though a lot of the world is still adjusting and trying to get back to some kind of normalcy and pick businesses back up again, China in their box office, their theatrical exhibition is pretty much back to full strength. And you're seeing that in a lot of their local titles that they have coming out over the last few weeks, grossing $500-600 million at the box office. And you're not seeing that with a lot of the iconic IP franchises or studios that would accustomly be doing successful in these areas. And overall, it made Ryan the Last Dragon made $26.2 million overall. So again, this is just going to be the latest evidence of even though people want maybe want to go back to the theaters it's a little bit safer now with the vaccines rolling out and it's a baby step towards greener pastures it's going to take a long time to get back to those heights that we were in before 2020 where again we were grossing billion dollar films and disney was a guaranteed billion dollar hit just waiting to happen that's not going to happen for maybe a year or so and i think a lot of studios are realizing that and again another step that happened which we'll get into is release date changes and we'll talk about that in a, in a little bit but when it comes to when it comes to the theaters and, and when it comes to actually getting people back again it, it's the it's a great step forward and again when you see an estimated an estimated 25 million dollars uh, of 25 million dollar weekend overall that's a good sign because a year ago was really around this time period that theaters were worried about closing down and after having a hundred million dollar opening weekend in the beginning of March it dropped down once all theaters closed to well a little over a hundred thousand dollars and that's pretty much it everything was closed down so around this time last year everything was closing down and now we're seeing the slow gradual buildup to opening theaters back up again and we only have 45 percent of the theaters open so i think people are just taking it slowly and when something comes out i think they will they will see those films we saw it last weekend with tom and jerry and i think we didn't see it with raya this weekend because uh, again when you have two major animated films because tom and jerry a name brand alone is a big project and then you have a disney animated studio film coming out the next weekend families aren't going to be shelving out and especially in these times right now for two films in a weekend in a row where again you risking yourself one weekend to go see a movie in theaters you're not going to do it a second straight weekend you're going to wait a few weekends before probably going back out to the theaters so i think ryan the last dragon is going to fall victim to that in the time periods right now so we'll see where that falls into place but again small baby steps are happening right now and i think that's the big important thing and once we're able to get theaters back open again safely to 50 percent capacity 60 percent 70 percent and you're allowed to have more people in that are fully vaccinated and you might still have to wear masks but maybe you can only sit a, a seat apart where it's you a seat and then somebody else sitting i think that will be the a great sign of indications to come and then it'll become a full uh, beginning the full recovery to the heightened box office successes that we were experiencing just two years ago so again baby steps to getting to this point but we're seeing more light coming out of the tunnel right now and this is just the latest step in that happening so what do you guys think about the box office numbers this weekend really specifically 
for Ryan the Last Dragon and for the overall weekend, $25 million, 45% of theaters open at capacity right now. What do you think that means? What do you think that bodes for films coming out? Let me know what you think and leave your thoughts. And now I want to move over to some superhero comic book movie news that came out over the weekend. And of course, the big stuff is WandaVision and the finale, which again, after I get through all this news, I'll have my friend Jason on and we're going to go through the entire finale and the entire season. So you're not going to want to miss that. But there were some interesting posters that came out for the next MCU edition in in the Disney Plus universe right now. And that is, of course, the first Disney Plus show that was supposed to come out before COVID-19 took over. And that was, of course, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And we're just two weeks away from, or really a week away, really, or no, two weeks away from the premiere episode dropping in the six-episode arc that we're going to get with this show, which I've always said is my most anticipated Disney Plus title right now. And, of course, has been my most anticipated Disney M- MCU Disney Plus title since it was announced at Comic-Con in 2019. So I'm very much looking forward to what they're going to do with this show. I've heard really good things about it. I've heard it from the cast, the the crew. So I'm really much looking forward to what we're going to get. And we just got some brand new posters from Marvel with the the, the, uh, one sheet posters in regards to the big important characters that we're going to get in this show. So we got one for Sam Wilson, the Falcon. We got one for Bucky Barnes, the Winter Soldier. One that I'm really happy to see, and I think it indicates that she's going to have a big role to play, is Emily Van Camp getting her own one-sheet poster playing Sharon Carter once again. And of course, Daniel Bruhl reprising his villainous role as Zemo getting his one-sheet poster as well. So I love seeing all of them in these posters. We get the same kind of costumes. But again, the one that really sticks out to me is the fact that Sharon Carter got her own poster. And again, I felt like it was tough for her to have any kind of role in the MCU, especially when you were introduced to her in The Winter Soldier and then with Captain America Civil War. Again, that was already a big stuff to film that, that it felt like its own Captain America film, but she was really kind of pushed to the side again. So the fact that she's going to come back in here and probably have a bigger role, I think she's deserved more. And I thought Emily Van Camp was a great choice to play Sharon Carter. So I'm excited that she's going to be able to explore this character a lot more with Falcon with the Winter Soldier and explore a lot of these side characters again. And again, WandaVision kind of proved it with its its finale and with its entire show that exploring these side characters like a Wanda and a Vision or now doing the Falcon and the Winter Soldier and Sharon Carter and even going into Zemo a little bit more, we're going to be able to marinate in a lot of these characters and, and add more dimensions and more layers to them than we realized in the MCU movies when they were not really one note. Some of them from the, some of them were one notes. Like I would say Sharon Carter was a little bit of a one note, but Falcon and Winter Soldier, they had more of a two dimension to them, but again, we're regulated to supporting roles. In shows like this, we're able to get three dimensional looks at these characters, more layers to them, and that makes it even more exciting, and you add in the action and, and the suspense, and I think the, the grounded grittiness of what we loved in both the Winter Soldier and Civil War, we're going to get that again and see that continuation of that tone with the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So to see that all play 
layout. I'm very excited for it. The one poster, and I've been seeing a lot of this pop up in the comments, is the fact that we really haven't seen, other than the same shot really, of John Walker, US agent, who seems like he takes over the Captain America mantle in the beginning of the show. We haven't really gotten a good look from him. We haven't really seen Jed, Jed or Wyatt Russell in action in this role, other than him really running up in this football stadium and crouching down in this warehouse. But we haven't really seen anything else of him interacting with Sam Wilson or Bucky Barnes. And I'm really interested to see how they see somebody else other than Steve take on that that Captain America role as U.S. agent, and it's not the person that Steve entrusted in that mantle like Sam or or somebody else that Steve would have trusted and that the government is really taking the reins on this one. So I'm really interested to see how that whole dynamic plays out in this six hour or six episode epic that we're going to get with this show. And so I'm really excited to see what they're able to do. And again, it'll add more of the the genre range and the difference of different things you can mix up in the MC. We, we go from a sitcom level weirdness in WandaVision to the straightforward ground gritty espionage spy thriller in Falcon and the Winter Soldier and kind of get that completely 180 genre change is going to be exciting to see how people adjust from one show to a completely different show. So I'm really excited about it and this is this is just the latest in seeing that happen. And then the other thing that I want to talk about moving from the MCU to the DCEU is talking a lot about Zack Snyder's Justice League. And a a quick note that I want to put in here, I am going to have a a really good interview of somebody that I talked to last week about Zack Snyder's Justice League. I'll announce it in the next few days ahead and release for Zack Snyder's Justice League. We had a great conversation and somebody who's been integral to the, to the, the Snyder Cut, to the release of Snyder Cut family and has really been in depth in telling the story so far. I'll have that person on this week and I'll announce it in the next day or so who that is so i'm really excited about that and there's going to be a lot more coverage both the falcon and the winter soldier but of course also Zack snyder's justice league as well and the, pro- the promotional campaign for Zack snyder's justice league is well underway right now and over the last few days we've been getting a lot of these mini character posters and teases and trailers to the main team of justice league we got one last week with batman superman and this weekend And today, we got three additionals with both the King of the Sea and Aquaman. We got the speedster himself, Flash, and of course, the Amazon warrior herself and Wonder Woman, especially in celebration of International Women's Day today, that Wonder Woman took the main center stage today. And I loved both the trailers for Aquaman and Flash. And again, one of the great things about this four-hour cut that we're going to get is the fact that we're going to be able to dive into not just Zack's vision, but Zack's vision for what he had with these characters and the depth and the layers. Kind of going back to what I was talking about with Falcon, Winter Soldier, and WandaVision, depth and layers and dimensions to these characters that we we hadn't seen, especially with Aquaman and Flash and, and Cyborg that we're going to see tomorrow probably most likely to see all this kind of unfold and the story that Zach wanted to tell is going to be very very interesting and it had this epic feel to it especially the one with the flash where you get more of the speed force and the time travel travel hijinks that are probably going to take place with this movie it was really exciting to see and, and Barry Allen is going to be more complex he's not just going to be the comedic relief it seems like he has some comedic timing as well but 
again, it seems more later nuanced than just that alone. And and the Wonder Woman trailer today just showcased the beautiful iconography that Zach was able to capture, as he always does. I mean, if there's one thing you can't knock Zack Snyder for is the visual director that he is. And he just can, seems like he brings it once again with this film. And the one thing that also surprised the hell out of me is seeing the CGI of this movie and the fact that, again, when you talk about the fact that Zach, that the studio shelved out $70 million to finish up the post-production process, and even though they had a few days of additional photography, it, it really was all just kind of about touch-ups and putting the visual effects together and remotely probably since we're in the middle of a pandemic right now. And seeing Steppenwolf in CGI, I mean, he looks amazing. He looks fluid and real, and it doesn't look out of place whatsoever. So it's just seeing some of the, the, the advancements and the further development of the VFX shots that Zach was able to finish up on and touch up on, it just looks awesome. And I can't wait to see it fully in action next week, really, which is kind of crazy to think, honestly. Next week on Thursday, March 18th, we get Zack Snyder's Justice League. So, I mean, that's just crazy to even think about. But but again, the, the fact that marketing is in full swing right now, the premiere is in a few days, it, it's exciting. And, and I think these trailers just indicate the, the level of excitement and the level of investment that HBO Max, WarnerMedia have in making sure that people get, they get eyes on this title. Because again, there's been some HBO Max stuff that has come out, but there hasn't been something at this high level of a, of a degree because uh, let's face it, the, the biggest genre right now, the most profitable genre right now, and WandaVision proved it over the, the past two, two and a half months on Disney Plus is that comic book, the comic book genre is the, best, the most profitable genre in, in Hollywood right now. And again, we saw it in streaming over the last two and a half months. And I think HBO Max realizes that. And even though they have some eyeballs on their on their programming, they, this is the biggest thing that they're going to put out. And even though it's not technically the thing that they started from beginning to end, but they are bringing it to the finish line and they're putting their money into it. So they want to make sure that it is the best that it can possibly can be because they want people to check out more stuff on their channel. They don't just have HBO Max stuff, but or HBO stuff, they have DC and there's a lot of cool DC stuff on the service as well that I think can attract a lot of people to it if they haven't been on HBO Max yet. And I think really it's the easiest subscription service to actually do in, and I hope HBO Max is able to get people onto that. And that's what they hope Snyder's Justice League is able to do for a lot of people, be that big event that people can check out on their streaming service and that it is a part of their streaming service. So I think that's what they're hoping for, especially after seeing what, again, what WandaVision did in in the first few months of 2021 and probably what Falcon and Winter Soul is going to do in the next month or two. I think that's what they're hoping Justice League is able to do for a little bit and being this big phenomenon that people can be a part of and check out and experience. So we'll see how that all plays out and I'm really excited for it. And again, to see an, a, a director's vision fully come to life where he really doesn't have any any kind of, of 
roadblocks. He doesn't have any stoppage. Nobody is is dictating to him what he can and cannot do and having these conversations. He has full artistic creativity control over this. And he's talked about that where he didn't take a dime, additional dime off of any kind of payment for finishing up Justice League. The, the, The payoff was having full creative control. And he says that in the Vanity Fair article from a few weeks ago. So I think we're going to see see what he's able to come up with and i'm really excited to see what he's able to do and again seeing these little little mini promotions is it just adds that excitement so again there's going to be a lot more coverage of this as the week goes on and again i'm going to have some coverage on it as well again i i have a big interview coming up in the next few days i'm going to be dropping in anticipation and in Lou with the marketing for Justice League. So I'm really excited for what you for for what you guys can check out and hopefully you guys like the interview that I have coming up in the next few days for Zack Snyder's Justice League. It's a great one and I can't wait for you guys to check it out in the next few days. I'm just finishing up the, the video segment of it so I can put it on YouTube as well and you can check it out there or you can check it out on the audio platform as well. So it'll be up in the next few days once I finish it up and then I'll release all the details on, on who it is and what we talked about and you guys can experience it for yourself. So I'm really looking forward to it and yeah, I'm going to keep you guys in anticipation for a little bit, but it's going to be worth it in the next few days when I announce who it is and what we talk about and putting the whole thing out for people to see. But until then, what did you guys think about these character posters and these mini trailers, not just for Falcon and Winter Soldier when it comes to the character posters, but also for Justice League and the trailers and the character posters that came out for Zack Snyder's Justice League. Let me know what you think about all of it and leave your thoughts below. And the final thing that I'm going to talk about on this portion of the Sam Bissell podcast before we get into our WandaVision recap is the release date changes that line up to what I was just talking about with the box office and how this is a big weekend when it comes to the theatrical exhibition. And uh, last week, there were other major announcements that came out that I think Uh, It doesn't hinder what we're going to see happen in the next few months when it comes to release date changes. And usually when it comes to release dates and it's changed over the last year or so in the pandemic, it's been a lot of doom and gloom in the sense that, oh, we have to wait another year. We have to wait another six months for these films. And it just kind of indicates that the studios and Hollywood aren't ready for these films to come out yet. And last week was really, I think, the first kind of positive announcements that we got when it came to release date changes and that maybe, just maybe, these studios are somewhat coming around to the idea that we can put these films out. And it was announced last week, the first one that was really announced was from Universal, where Fast 9 will be moving away from its Memorial Day weekend spot and moving from May 28th to June 25th of 2021. And Minions, The Rise of Gru will be moving a full year away from July of 2021 to July 1st of 2022. And that was really the biggest, in terms of furthest announcement that'll come out a year from now, that was the biggest one that was kind of, we're not ready for this just yet. But after hearing last year of what of what Illumination is kind of going through. I don't think they, they want to be back in their offices. It seems like they're shut down right now, so they might not be ready to put that film out, and the animation probably isn't done 
quite yet. So they probably need a full year to get the animation finished up, get everything they need to get done with it, tidy it up, and then be able to release it in a better summer movie season than what we're going to get this year. But again, we're probably getting a summer movie season this year because I think the biggest announcement to come out of this after it was Fast 9 moving just a month out instead of three months, four months, next year, the biggest announcement to come off of that was A Quiet Place Part 2. And A Quiet Place Part 2 was set to come out in September of this year. And once Fast 9 moved away from Memorial Day, instead of Quiet Place or, or any film vacating that spot, A Quiet Place, instead of pushing back or staying in September, they decided for, I think, the first time a major Hollywood film has done this since the pandemic began, was A Quiet Place Part 2 moved up from September all the way to that Memorial Day weekend slot that was vacated by Fast 9, which, again, gives the indication from studios that we are having a summer movie season. And again, it's not going to be the the best summer movie season. It's not going to be the summer movie season that theaters are back and everything's right as rain again. I think that'll be next year in 2022. But again, when we talk about baby steps, like I was talking about with the box office, this is just the next baby step in this happening. And especially for Paramount to do this, because A Quiet Place Part 2 is coming from Paramount, uh, Paramount Pictures, they are the studio that has sold away all of their titles in from last year to the beginning of this year, from Trial of Chicago 7, The Lovebirds was their first one they did in March and April, to Coming to America, which debuted on Amazon Prime this past weekend. The, the, the Paramount is usually the, the studio that is very extra cautious about this. So the fact that they feel confident enough, and I'm sure they had talks with Krasinski about this because John Krasinski was the one that announced that A Quiet Place Part Two was moving up to May 28th indicates that Paramount is ready to go, that they feel confident and, and want to put this film out and that it's time to put big blockbusters back into the theaters. Again, I'm sure they are very cautious and I'm sure they are very aware that a lot of these films aren't going to make the money they would have in pre-pandemic times, but I think they realize that it's in light of the situation that a lot of these that we have vaccines rolling out, theaters are opening back up again, and it's fully starting to be realized right now that it was right that once you get New York City back open again, LA is the next stop to open back up again, you'll see a lot of these studios feel confident. And again, even though New York is only open to 25% capacity, it's a start. And I'm sure by April and May, it'll be, if, if numbers are still down in New York City, then you'll see the capacity percentage grow. And the same thing in LA, where it'll start the same way as New York and grow. So studios must feel confident that Los Angeles, which is the number one market in terms of theatrical exhibition, that they will be opening up again in due time. And I think this provides further evidence that films like Cruella and Black Widow are probably going to stay in their allotted release date areas, that there was a lot of uh, of rumors swirling around, and, and it's been like that since last year, where Black Widow would move to a, maybe a hybrid release of Disney Plus in theaters, and that may still happen. I wouldn't put it past them to potentially do that, but I don't think Black Widow is going to move. I, I think the fact that also there could be a Chinese release date set for Black Widow, I think Disney, Marvel, they're set on May 7th being the release date for Black Widow at this time 
time period right now. And the fact that, again, Cruella isn't moving, the fact that Quiet Place Part 2 moved up, the fact that Fast 9 is next to Venom, Let There Be Carnage on June 25th, signals that I think we are going to get a summer movie season. If fall numbers are still going the way they're going right now and we get more vaccinations, what was once questioned even a month ago of not having a summer movie season in 2021 after not having one in 2020, I think it, there's growing significance that we are going to have a summer movie season this year where we're going to have multiple studios. It's not just going to be Warner Brothers and HBO Max with their hybrid of just putting out In the Heights and Suicide Squad. I think we're going to get Top Gun Maverick coming out. I think we're going to get a lot of these other films. I think we're going to get Shang-Chi coming in July as well. I think a lot of these films are going to be coming out for the most part. So again, it's exciting. And again, the next baby step in getting to this place. Now, is Venom Let There Be Carnage going to stay on June 25th? I don't think so. I think that film is going to move off because I think the thing that you're going to see is a lot of these films are going to want to breathe a little bit. And and I know you're. I'm saying that now. And then you have May 28th where you have A Quiet Place Part 2 and Cruella. Maybe Disney might move Cruella, but I think when it comes to two major blockbusters like that, whereas, again, with A Quiet Place Part 2, that's a blockbuster. Cruella, again, it's Disney, so you can say it's in that block potential blockbuster status, but I think that's still 50-50 on that part, even though I was impressed with the teaser trailer for it. With Fast 9 and Venom, though the previous films to those franchises were major box office successes. The first Venom grossed over $800 million, and the Fast franchise is now a billion dollar franchise so one of them is going to have to move especially in these pandemic times you're going to want to let your film breathe a little bit and try to get the best buck that you possibly can and both of these films are going to rely on worldwide box office and especially for the fast franchise they rely heavily on worldwide box office it's not just north america it's around the world that they rely on so again i think they're going to want to have a lot of space as well so I think Venom is probably going to move to a space where they're not competing with the film like that at that time period. I think it could still come out in the summertime, maybe towards the middle end of July, maybe, or even in August. So we'll see where it lands. But I don't think Venom, Let There Be Carnage, will be staying on June 25th. I think one of those two will probably move again. I don't think it's Fast 9 just because they moved they moved to that slot. The next film to blink probably is going to be Venom, Let There Be Carnage. But again, overall, this is a great sign of what's to come, and we'll see where it all lands in the future. But again, a great positive baby step in getting theatrical exhibition back open again, and that'll complete the the first major step. And then again, like I was saying before, the next major step that involve a lot of baby steps moving forward is getting the theatrical box office back up and running to some kind of capacity that it was in two, three years ago. Again, not to those standards, but in some kind of fashion where films are making the equivalent of what they should be making in these higher profile projects that they are going to be putting out. And, and I don't think that's going to happen this year. I think we're going to get the recovery happening. But next year, next summer movie season, well, you'll start to see the significant advantage and the, and the significant progress that we started around this time period. If all goes according to plan and we get the numbers to keep going down. So a lot to look forward to with these announcements. And again, the first positive release date changes, unless you're a fan of Minion Rise of Gru, then unfortunately you're going to have to wait a whole another year. But 
But again, the fact that you only had Fast 9 delayed one month and you had Quiet Place Part 2 pushed up by into the summer movie season, I think gives great confidence that we will have a summer movie season. Studios are relying and, and, and are feeling comfortable of putting their, their major blockbusters back on the schedule. And we'll see where that all leads. So again, another positive baby step in the days to come right now. So that's it for this portion of the Sam Bissell podcast. The next portion, of course, will include my spoiler review with Jason Abdow on WandaVision. But since I'm going to be talking about that for most of the time, I'm going to really end this portion as I usually do with thanking all of you for tuning into the Sam Bissell podcast. And as always, you can tune in on YouTube, or not YouTube, excuse me, you can do Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, SoundCloud, and much more. Also, make sure to tune in on Teeny Ambiguous Podcast Solutions and be sure to check out the other amazing shows that are on there, such as You Mad Bro, the number one source to see what the internet's pissed off about on a weekly basis. Also, check out Goal Driven Professionals. It's geared toward improving client relations, return on investment, and customer acquisition costs for independent businesses and services. Also, you can check out The Daily Grind, a weekly motivational podcast with Kelly Johnson giving you tips and takeaways on reaching your goals. You can also check out the other amazing shows that are on the podcast, such as Fretzelmania Podcast, Midnight Showing, and Wrestle Addict Radio. You can check these out and so much more on the website, ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com, also on Facebook and Twitter at Real Ambiguous. And if you want to check out Canopy Treehouse, use the coupon code AMBIGUOUS. Also, when you get a chance, make sure to follow me on social media. You can find me on Twitter at Bissell Samuel, that's B-U-S-S-E-L-L-S-A-M-U-E-L, and on Facebook at Sam Bissell. Guys, once again, thank you so much for tuning in, and until next time... Keep on screening. And also, now make sure to tune in to my next portion of the Sam Bissell podcast, which is our full breakdown of the WandaVision finale with me and my good friend, Jason Abdow. So stick around for that, everybody. Welcome to the Sam Bissell Podcast. It's now time for spoiler review for WandaVision. So again, if you have not seen WandaVision, the finale or the season as a whole, we are going to dive into everything. And who do I mean by we? I mean, my good friend, Jason Abdow is with me once again. And this time we're not talking award season, although we could get into that a little bit with this show. My good friend, Jason Abdow is with me. Jason, how we doing, buddy? It's good to see you again. We're matching today. We are matching. Look at the color. What is this, like maroon? It's, it's scarlet, right? Yeah, I think so. Well, I don't think it's, it's, like mar- it's like dark red. I don't know if that's scarlet, but it's close. It's close. I mean, red. listen, if we're going into it already, I mean, that, that outfit, oof. I mean, it's 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 like this dark red, so. it's You know, and I think, yeah, it must have been a subconscious thing for us. It must have been. I mean, I, I, put, I put you on Zoom, and then all of a sudden you come on with this shirt, and totally unpredicted. Totally unpredicted. So we're going to get into everything to do with WandaVision. So again, if you have not seen WandaVision, the finale or the season as a whole, 
come back after seeing the whole season of the finale and enjoy this conversation where we get into everything about this. So hopefully you guys can enjoy it and have some fun with it. So we're going to get into it all, the nitty gritty. But before we get into the nitty gritty, Jason, we both have watched the finale. Obviously, that's why we're here and we have watched the whole season. So I just want to get your overall thoughts before we go into spoilers. What did you think about the season in its entirety? Yeah, so I know you've been enjoying, you've got a chance to like share episode by episode mm-hmm. with people. I feel like episode by episode is like an interesting way to even be discussing it because it really was, you know, I want to say disjointed. I think that's unfair to the show, but it, you know, it, it varied a lot and they were doing a lot of little gimmicks at the beginning. I thought it was pretty interesting because the chief complaint I would say I and a lot of people have with Marvel is as much fun as it is and as invested as we are with it, for better or for worse, it is a formula and they stick to that formula. You can kind of know where it's going to go. So the fact that like they were really playing around for the first half of the series, I, I was really into it. Um, you know, for, you know, every episode was framed as like a different decade of a sitcom and you don't really know what's happening, which is weird because I feel like usually you, you pretty much know what's happening in the MCU. The question is what's going to happen next. <laughs> and I think people go into this with that mindset. And once answer, questions start to get answered, I feel like, I feel like I, as someone who doesn't, I wasn't the type to go every week and be like, let me watch like hours of videos about like what each frame represents and what the picture on the wall in the background means and how the X-Men and Fantastic Four and Spider-Man and everyone else is going to show up in the last episode. Like I just kind of took it as what it is because I feel like that's fair to show and I enjoyed it. And then I realized people were actually very upset because they had these expectations going in. And I kind of get it. And people are like, I can't believe Mephisto wasn't in this. And I was like, who's Mephisto? <laughs> I don't know. I don't read the comics. Like, I don't even know this guy. Like, why would you assume this dude's coming in? I feel like that's kind of a unique perspective, it seems, because I feel like everyone else who's uh, been talking about it has a lot of extracurricular stuff coming into it. I, I felt like my issues with the show were more based within the show, where I felt like it did become like that Marvel what we come to expect from Marvel for better or for worse. It did become that when it really was setting up something unique before. Um, like I'm thinking of that, the dinner scene in the first episode and his boss starts choking and it's like, really like, it's like kind of scary almost. Like it's like very twin peaks. Like, yeah, like where, Twilight Zone, uh, yeah. yeah, they're like breaking reality. You don't know what's happening. You're like, what is, what is happening here? Like, is this real? And I was, I like really digging that stuff. Um, and in the, I think the third episode, the seventies themed on the Mary, Mary Tyler Moore Brady Bunch themed one. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of like very odd things going on with, uh, I guess what ended up becoming Monica Rambo's character. Uh, like the, you know, there's like the guy who was like cutting the wall. Like just, you see these people like totally like oh. lost in the world. And you're like, what is happening here? It's so bizarre. And I thought the answers to those questions, a spoiler, so like just knowing now, it's like, it was all just Wanda. Right, yeah. Like it was all in her head. I thought that was a good enough reason. I didn't expect it to go too crazy. I didn't actually expect it to be Twin Peaks. (laughs) 
Right, yeah. Like, like the whole thing is just the outside beings doing the entire thing, really. Yeah, like, I'm like, this is going to clean nicely. And for the most part, it's good. It leaves it open enough. Um, and, you know, the ultimate goal of the show is to really expand upon these two characters that were just totally neglected in the rest of the MCU. Um, like, it really made me, like, go back and remember what happened in Age of Ultron, which I haven't seen in five years. <laughs> It's like they didn't, they really did like butcher both Wanda and Vision's intros. Not butchered, but you know, it's not in a, it's an unremarkable part of an unremarkable movie. Right. Yeah. And I think that's the thing with, with this though, is like you were saying, is the fact that we do get to explore and make these characters more three dimensional and layered than we did. Because again, when we saw them in those movies, they were more of team ups and sure we were interested in those characters and we weren't like, Oh, these characters, I don't like watching them. We, we liked them. And of course I think it's a, it's a totality to the fact that when we got to infinity war and that whole storyline with Wanda vision was going on, I think a lot of people were surprised by how invested they were with so little time that they had. And this show was able to offer more of that invested emotional time that we were able to experience this with these characters and flesh them out like that. But I think that kind of worked for its advantage that they really didn't get that proper attention up until this point. Uh, Like really going into this, only knowing so much about them, like, you know, that they're an item, you know, that they have history, but it felt like all of their actual like romantic life um, like them really getting to be people together like that was all off screen. Uh, so the fact that we kind of got to build upon it in such a weird way, I think it's like we kind of went in not even knowing that much about them. And I think that really added to the atmosphere that was that we were getting. And then I think when we were getting those flashbacks and we were getting in depth, especially with Wanda's character, is like, oh, like now I'm ready for you to be in phase four now. Like, now I'm ready for you to be, you know, in whatever happens after this with the multiverse and all that. Like, now I'm totally invested in this character. Like, you did your work. I think that's kind of, you know, we got to remember, like, I know it's been tough because we haven't had a Marvel movie in so long. Yeah. Like, this is a Disney Plus show at the end of the day. Uh and I think they know that this is kind of extracurricular for fans. Mm-hmm. It, this isn't a mainline movie. And I know they said, like, you should be watching the series to get the full context of the movies. But I think they know at the end of the day, they can't, they can't set up, like, the next Thanos or whatever in a, the first Disney Plus show. Like, only so many people are going to be watching this, not like the blockbusters. And it's not like the main characters that people are going to see. So I feel like this was more of like a, let's experiment a little, let's add context to the characters, let's set some stuff up that's definitely going to be, you know, characters up that are going to be big moving forward, like Monica Rambeau. Um, But let's like, you know, let's play with our toolbox a little bit. We have all these underused toys, let's play with them a little bit. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. No, absolutely not. And I think, like you were saying earlier, is the fact that with a show like this, because when I was watching it, at least for the first three episodes, I was into all that that weirdness, that that sitcom love, because I'm, I'm a big sitcom guy, and I love Dick Van Dyke, I Dream of Jeannie. I'm a huge fan of those 50, sitcom, 50 60 sitcoms. So for me to kind of experience that in the mystery box element of it was 
great and, and exciting. But I know for like my family, like my dad a little bit was, he's into the MCU, but he's more of a generic fan where he's not, he wasn't into that kind of aspect of it. He was like, okay, let me get what I know the Marvel Cinematic Universe to be. So I think for for the showrunners like Jack Schaefer and Matt Shackman, who's a director, and the writers, I think they did a great job of, of towing the line and really balancing itself of showing us something new while also being a part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And when we got to episode four, episode five, there was buzz in the beginning in those initial episodes, but the buzz really started to build after episode four, getting introduced to Jimmy Woo, to, to Darcy, to Monica, and then episode five, Im- implementing both the MCU and the sitcom, which I think those middle episodes were the strength of the show. As much as I love the sitcom stuff, which I go back to episode one and two all the time, but I thought they were able to do such a great job of weaving in and out of those two aspects and connecting them so well. I thought they did a great job of towing that line. And when you talk about the Disney Plus stuff, I think you said it perfectly and Kevin Feige even said it a few weeks ago where you, even though the Disney plus shows are going to connect to the MCU and WandaVision is connecting to Dr. Strange and the multiverse of madness. And we'll talk about it really in the finale as well, but you don't get those direct connections. You don't get the, the, the Dr. Strange coming into, into the season or you get hints like Sorcerer Supreme or what we saw in the post credit scene in Wanda in an astral form, but we don't, get to, we don't get those big hints of, well, this is directly leading into this because like Kevin Feige said, we want to make sure that, and this happened with all the movies, each thing is its own independent thing while also connecting to the bigger universe as well with these Disney Plus shows. If you watch these Disney Plus shows and connect to the movies, that's great. But if you only watch the movies, you, you this character goes through something. So if you want to check out what this character goes through, watch WandaVision, but you don't have to watch WandaVision in order to get Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Yeah, I think that's, like for me, what my interest in Marvel is like, that's what I want. You know, I, I like that. Obviously, I I think, you know, you need to have a balance. Like, it can't all be Endgame and Infinity War where you're all, like, directly connected and coalescing universes. Like, you know, the reason those kind of movies work so well is because they are, like, special events. It is, like, the culmination. You can't have everything be an epic scale where everything comes together perfectly. Like, that can't happen every time. Because, like, let's be honest, like, the reason why these two characters needed this whole miniseries is because their only exposure to us was in big team-up movies. Yep. So, yeah, like, we lose, we lose the humanity of these characters we're supposed to care about. And I know, you know, if you're doing your extracurricular research, um, maybe you don't feel like you need that attention. Like, you know, there are probably people who went into this who were like, I already knew Vision, I already knew Wand, I didn't need this like I didn't (laughs) you know like I didn't read like however many issues of a comic and however many fan theories like going into this like I knew like Wanda is that orphan with a dead brother who like moves stuff with her mind envisions the magic Jesus robot like that's it (laughs) right um and I know they're in love and I know like what happened in infinity was was very traumatic for Wanda because I have basic human empathy but it didn't really go beyond that. So I'm like very glad I got to like expand upon that. And I know like the theme of loss has become like almost like a running joke for the Marvel universe where it's every movie now is like, Oh, we got to like, we got to deal with the loss. 
But I felt like with someone like Wanda, because we don't know them so well, and like to have the time to really like expand upon their depths, like upon that emotional depths. And that was like, that was really nice. And just the whole series was like, really like, there felt like there was a lot of heart to it with just her processing her grief with, you know, everything that, uh, that went on in Infinity War and or before that, I mean, I don't know. I think that's something you don't really see in these movies. It's, it's, you don't see it with the amount of care that this one had. I think just having that time to do it, um, and being able to have like that singular focus on uh, two and really at the end of the day, one character. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think again, when we talk about this being a Disney plus show, that that's a lot of, that's a lot of weight to put on a Disney plus show when it's a family streaming service, but you're dealing with very adult heavy topics, very, very heavy things that people can relate to in life and people that are relating to it right now in the midst of a pandemic of, of grieving of loved ones that they've lost or, or feeling of isolation that they don't have anybody. And I think, again, this wasn't planned that WandaVision was going to be the first MCU property since July of 2019. And that would feel, I think, as relevant as it has become. But I, I, I give kudos to, to Jack Schaefer, the showrunner. I give kudos to to the writers for diving into these into these themes that, like you were saying, Jason, makes them so human, even though they are these super-powered individual beings. I mean, we fell in love with a synthesoid, a droid, and, and we felt for it as if it was a human being. So I definitely think that they are doing incredible things, and they offer some great things that Disney Plus it might not be able to offer in the movies. Cause when you think about something like Captain America, civil war, I thought one of the great things about that was even though it was this big team up adventure and there were all these great characters involved, it was kind of a culmination of the point of what we reached in the Marvel cinematic universe where we kind of, we took a step back a little bit and talked about the things of consequences where all these actions in Sokovia in, in winter soldier in the Avengers you know, lives were lost and people were being destroyed. So it makes you think about that a little bit. I think WandaVision offers that as well. So that's like, so that's like the main plus of the show. Yeah. I would say it's like, and I say, I mean, that's a, that's a huge part of it. Like overall the show did what it intended to do. And I like what its ambitions were. Like, I like that. Yeah. Um, But like, especially since you haven't had a chance to talk about the last episode. Yeah. That's, um, that's, that's what I wanted to talk about. I do think we like, we got to talk about it. Yes. And I don't want to be, I know we were talking about like, well, Marvel never messes up the landing. Like they always stick the landing. It's always satisfying. Right. And I'm going to say like, this was a satisfying end. Yes. Um, I agree with you. I feel like my, my criticisms with the ending are probably different than most. Because really? I think a lot of people were upset with the ending because their expectations were like, what's going to happen? Like, how right. are they going to tie us in? to uh, Doctor Strange or whatever. And like at first I was like, okay, well that's unfair to the show. If you shouldn't have those expectations for it, it hasn't really given you that many reasons to think it's gonna be more than like the conclusion of, uh, you know, this Agatha and Wanda. And then we get to see like the Hayward storyline and the- The vision storyline. White vision, whatever, whoever he is. Um, but there were like little things that got con- you know, got wrapped up that 
we're absolutely like, no, like you, you threw that in there and you should have known better than to wrap it up like that. And I think the clearest example is uh, the, the Quicksilver thing. Well, yeah. It's like at the end of the day, it was like, wow, was that a letdown? See, I don't, all right. So well, let, me my, let me give yeah, my let me give my overall thoughts your on. Take on it. Yeah. I I was disappointed by it. Yeah. So I wouldn't say I was disappointed. I would say that it isn't the strongest episode of the of the season. I, I still think episode eight is the best episode, and it's one of the best things that Marvel has put out. Period. What they were able to deal with in that episode, and again expand on the characters. But I think with this episode, the one thing that I was worried about was a little bit of sticking the landing, but I know Marvel can stick the landing on some things. And I think they stick the landing on this finale to some extent. I think when it comes to the Wanda and Vision storyline, they wrap those up incredibly well. And I think when, when I talk about the expectations for this finale, minds were tempered back a little bit after episode eight, because to me, episode eight also really told the audience this is the nooks and crannies of the show. This is what we're dealing with. This is what we're exploring. And this is where the end game is leading to for the wrap up of this show. And for me, the big problem was the pacing of it. Cause I definitely felt like they were rushing into it. Then in the beginning, it's like, okay, we're going to give you white vision. All of a sudden comes in and he's fighting my, uh, he's fighting one and he's fighting vision. And, and we're going to get into all these different battles and we're just going at this rapid pace. Whereas a lot of the show was really kind of taking its time and, and marinating and, and, and allowing us to live in this world. And then it's just rushing into all these action sequences that were really kind of promised to us. And you can kind of feel that in the writing of it. And also in the fact that, I think for all the setup that we got, and I think we got great setup with Monica for the future of the MCU, but I think for everything that we got in terms of Monica and Jimmy and Darcy, it was a little bit of a letdown because I wanted to explore a little bit more with Monica and we only got one scene with Darcy. Granted, it was a funny little one-liner from Kat Dennings with the see you in prison. I thought that was funny, but there was just, I wish there was more involved. Like I wish we got the the reunion of Jimmy, Monica and Darcy kind of helping Wanda or, or navigating this from the outside inside the world of Westview. And we just didn't really get that. And we focused rightfully so, because it is in the title, we focused more on Wanda and Vision. I think when we focused on those two characters, that's where the finale really, really excelled on that given front. And when it comes to, Pietro, as Agatha really kind of called it, I liked that. I, I was fine with it. And again, I didn't, and the beginning when episode five came in, it dropped and we all thought it was mutants and we thought it was multiverse and they're going to bring the Fox X-Men universe in. As the episodes went on, I didn't think that was really going to happen. And I just think that it was told in episode eight that this is a fake Pietro. And I think fans were kind of clamoring that, Oh, maybe Marvel's going to pull the, 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 the third final act where no, it's really is like, it's Peter from the X-Men universe. His name's not Pietro. It's Peter. And Agatha was able to bring him in from this other universe. I think people were still trying to hold on to that. But again, by episode eight, I had more of the expectation of this, this Pietro isn't what we were going to get. And again, you also have to think about the fact of these, this world that, again, you have all these people that are creating all these different theories. And we'll get into, I think this should be in the next kind of conversation that we talk about is expectations and fan theories is about 
having having realistic expectations and knowing who your audience is because even though you have the hardcore fan base what's made the marvel marvel cinematic universe the biggest franchise in the world right now is the fact that you expanded your audience to people that didn't really know the world of comic books that just knew the world of marvel you're not going to know that scarlet witch is is magneto's daughter and that this this x-men this this version of pietro is from another x-men universe because then you have people that saying well i didn't follow any of that stuff from the x-men universe how am i supposed to know who this person is so you know people like you and i from the movie universe that know who these people are but for general general audience members that's just way too much thinking and way too much inside the park that the marvel universe has not done to this point and i don't think they're going to do they're gonna they're gonna put things from the comic books in there to expand this world that makes sense in their universe but they're not going to go all the way in depth inside the baseball in that stuff and also we're going to get that stuff down the line and it's just not happening at this particular moment in time we're going to get mutants we're going to get x-men we're going to get fantastic four mephisto will probably show up down the line it's just not with this this is this is about wanda and vision and a very human story that I think was really proven to the example in episode eight. To me, it was just the pacing of this episode felt like to the, for me that the writer's room knew they only had one episode to go and it was all rushed. Yeah, and I understand that. That's show and show finales can be like that. Um, I like, I half agree and half don't agree with the Quicksilver Pietra thing. My main issue with it, like I'm totally like, fine again with the taking your time with the universe moving forward having not everything be this huge um you know reveal i get it like we're not ready to have the fox x-men we're probably not going to see the fox x-men it it makes sense and i'm totally fine with that but it's just the framing of it where i feel like episode five was such a good episode um and so much of what made that episode great was just like that incredible ending when you see him and you recognize him and you're like, Oh man, like what is going to happen next? Like, how are they going? And then it's just like, when you go to rewatch it now, like they did undercut themselves, like that's going to be nothing. You're like, Oh, that's Robert Boner. And it's like, it's like the slap in the face that it's like a dick joke at the end of the day. But see, it's Um, a slap in the face, but but, yeah. They made it fit within that story where it's it's Ralph because we were I think one of the big questions that they answered that a lot of people kind of forgot once the whole theater thing was happening was people were wondering who's who's Agnes Agatha's husband is it Mephisto is it Nightmare we were all making these insinuations but really she was living in the house that Ralph Boner was living in if that really is his actual yeah. name so I thought they they in the immediate story it fit into what they were doing and and, and even Matt Shackman. Even Matt, I just want to say this real quick. Even though even yeah. Matt Jackman has said that they, they they intended for that to happen, that they, he is somebody who's a fan of Iron Man three. When Shane Black made that double switch, where Ben Kingsley isn't the Mandarin, he's an actor playing the Mandarin. They Which they wanted sad, to yeah. pull that double. Now that is still considered a very highly divisive. People, and you know, the thing is, I actually don't hate Iron Man three, Mandal- uh, Mandalorian. Mander, Mandarin, Mandarin. <laughs> um, I don't it's, hate that. It sounds I similar. Think it like works within the confines of the movie, but also like because it's like that character was like isolated to that movie alone. Whereas this, it was like, I feel like you can't be upset with fans being upset 
right. that they felt like betrayed by that twist. Because like, yeah, you absolutely set that up for that. Yeah. No, they absolutely did. Um, but like, but to talk about like some other parts of the finale, uh, mm-hmm. like, so I want to talk about Catherine Hong. All right. So, because all right. So, I like Catherine Hong. All right. So, so let's talk about the, the, the battle or like the, the dichotomy between Catherine Hong, the Agnes and the Wanda character. Like, what do you think about that though? I need, I'm going to, I'm going to build up a little to that. All right. Build up to that. Cause I haven't really talked about her yet because I think for the first like seven episodes, like she was perfect. I like, was perfect because she is a comedic actress. She's mm-hmm. a incredibly talented comedic actress. And she like totally sold all her sitcom moments. Her big reveal was Agus all along. Like it was funny. It was tongue in cheek. It. It, it totally worked. Also, then, shout out to, to Robert and Kristen Lopez who worked on all yes, of Yes, obviously they can they can write a catchy tune. Yeah. <laughs> um, Clearly. Now and then we got in episode eight, we got a little of her at the beginning, her backstory. And I thought they digitally de-aged her a little. I thought that actually looked decent. Yeah, it looked good. And I didn't anything bad. But like everything from like the end of episode eight, like through the finale. Like, really? You didn't like it? It was it was cheesy as hell. Ah, oh, see, it but- was it was it it felt because we were no longer in that sitcom realm anymore. And just how well grounded everything felt leading up to that, and and I just I don't think it's Catherine Hahn's fault. I just genuinely think like that's on the writing. Like it was written to be still a little goofy and cheesy. Right. It just didn't fit anymore. And I felt that um, for a show like where the tone had been like so well contained up until that point, where like. You know, and obviously the tone switching around all over the place, intentionally so. Uh, you know, you can't really. It just, it didn't work as well to See, me. I, it I felt it felt goofy. It, the visuals looked goofy. Her writing, the writing for her character was like really stale. For really, me, really <sighs> generic. Like it felt like bad video game writing. To me. Really, I didn't that's, feel, that. and that's just how I felt about it. I feel like that's probably a hot take. And I just, I don't want to blame Catherine Hahn on it, but oh, but I was just, I yeah, I think it could have been handled a little better. The fight in general was like a little lackluster. Was just like I'm shooting my red energy at your purple energy, and your purple energy is taking my red energy. But now my red energy is taking your purple energy. And like there was no like at least with the vision fight, um, there's it was a similar like big fight in the sky with lasers. But it was like, you know, there were some cool things where, you know, learning how to fight yourself and they're going through each other. And right. um, he's like, you know, falling out of existence mid-fight. Like, that, that's kind of cool. But this, I just didn't think that fight was as climactic. You didn't really get that Agatha was that big of a threat. Like, you kind of did. But I just, I don't know, the stakes weren't fully there. Her character at that point and just stopped doing it for me. I don't know. 
I, I want to hear your like you counter that, please, because so, I want to so, know what I might have been missing there. I will definitely counter that because I think Catherine Hahn was perfect casting for this role because she she can toe that line between and she did it in between being sinister and being funny and not really knowing what side she's on. And I think she sold it in the beginning episodes as well because a lot of people were theorizing that she could potentially be Agatha Harkness, who in the comics is a mentor to Wanda. And a lot of people thought, well, maybe she's not that. And I think a credit to it is Catherine Hahn selling us into maybe not believing we think who she is. And in the end, she turned out to be that character. And then when she made that transition, I thought she just did a, a great job of, of being a little cheesy, but also being sinister and mysterious and also introducing this character and really two episodes, this new character of showcasing what she really wanted to do, which is is take magic away from other people and the, and I thought the the writing did a great job of of showcasing why she wanted to why she wanted to go to Westview and the fact that when Wanda created this hex that the reason the reason Agnes went there is because of this big power that was going on there she wanted to investigate what it was all about and it was really about taking that power away from Wanda and it became kind of this sort of tit for tat match where we see Wanda in just that episode or so become that Scarlet Witch, which we'll talk about in a little bit, but being a, being somebody who wants to take that power away and use it for herself. I felt the stakes in there. And I think for, for Agatha, she was this, she was the right villain for this. If she really even is a villain, because she's not somebody who is, is is controlling these people she's not somebody who created this world she just inserted herself and made wanda's wanda's perfect reality into a nightmare in a way and and she and and she was somebody who was kind of saying like they're your meat puppets i'm just taking away the strength and showing what you did to these people and the power that you possess and i think she did a great job of of really giving us the origins of Scarlet Witch. And I can see why that not a lot of actors get this, but Catherine Hahn just kind of went in, had a meeting with the writers at Marvel Studios, and they wanted to offer her this role. It wasn't a casting audition. It wasn't a casting process. They saw her in that role. And so I thought if they see her in that role, I was interested to see what they were going to do with it. And I think she did an incredible job with it. And she was able to toe that line of being cheesy and comedic, but sinister at the same time. I will give you though, that fight in the air, as much as I kind of liked where Wanda turned the table on her and she did the runes and it showcases her kind of learning as she goes along and she's picking stuff up. We'll talk about that in the finale a little later on with the post-credit scenes. But when the, the stuff in the fight where she takes the power away and she's yelling in the sky a little bit or when she's in the Salem Witch Trials and she's yelling a little bit, I could definitely see that being a little cheesy and especially kind of seeing myself where that's just all visual effects. And they probably told Catherine Hahn, yeah, pretend these lasers are pointed at you and scream like you're being sucked all this power out. So that I could definitely see that being a little cheesy. But I think she did a good job in selling it, though. So I think I love yeah, Catherine Hahn in this role, and I want to see more of her in it. That's yeah, I agree with that. Like I do think she's a talented actress and well cast in it. Um, I think like our differences with the character come big picture, small picture. Yeah, I do think everything you're saying about the character, I generally agree with, and I like some of those interesting dynamics, big picture wise. Um. With what, you know, her effects on the town, her relationship to Wanda and her magic, 
her motivation for everything. That's all great stuff. And it's all great big picture stuff. It's all stuff that I would actually be interested to see explored further because obviously Wanda's like not the only magical being in Mm -hmm. the MCU. And they did leave it open where Agatha can continue to somehow fall into these stories. Um, I just think it probably just comes with the limited timeline I do think just a lot of that stuff didn't get enough air to breathe. And that's maybe probably that disconnect for me. Maybe that's why I just found it came across like they rushed it. So it came across as a little cheaper and goofier to me. See, again, um, that, but that, like, that, I do think like in general, like your thoughts on it are valid. And right. I, I like, I couldn't, I don't blame anyone who feels that way. I just think uh, with what I got for what I wanted, uh, and for what I know it could be, it, yeah, that's that's where I'm at. I think it could have just been stronger. And, and, and just to go to your to your points, like I can understand completely at the same time about why you would think that maybe they didn't rush, they, they rushed it into it too much. Because again, we only had two episodes to really get acclimated to this really brand new character after knowing her as just Agnes, the nosy neighbor. But again, I think it goes to the credit of that eighth episode where really it focused it a lot on, on Wanda and her trauma, but we got introduced to this new character. And it, I think it really kind of just divulged why she wanted to be in that town in the first place. And I think it connected really well to the rest of, again, the story of this, of this show. And I think the meaty details are there as well. But again, I can understand where just two episodes were introduced to this new character and we don't have a lot of time with it. I do want to get though to the, I think the two highlights of the show really, which are in the title card and that's Wanda and visions and obviously going into the performances of Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany, who again, talking earlier, we got we got introduced to these characters in the movies. We liked them, didn't really know a lot about them. They were sidelined for the bigger characters in those movies because it was more of a team up, big blockbuster films. But they really, I think, brought their A-game to this show. And I think if there is any positivity and the praise is drawn to this show, again, this finale, there were a lot of expectations that weren't delivered. But I think the big stuff that I think will stick and will stick well and leave a positive impact in the show is the characters of Wand and Vision and what the writing staff was able to do, but also the performances of both Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany. And I love what Paul Bettany was able to do as Vision, but and he brought some nuance, some great emotion, layers to Vision. But what Elizabeth Olsen was able to do, not just in the last few episodes, but from the first episode to the last episode, being put going through all these different personas throughout the decades of sitcom, but also maintaining the core of that personality of Wanda Maximoff from the movies. And then in that, that those last two episodes showcasing the pain and trauma that she experienced throughout the last few movies, she was just able to do that seamlessly and flawlessly. And I personally think the, the Emmy should nominate her. I know it's a long ways away and there's a lot of MCU projects to come. And I hope this doesn't get muddied by all the other projects to come in the movies and shows, but she should stand out because she just, she showcased why she got this role in the beginning and at the same time showcased why she really is a phenomenal actress. Because you go, Jason, you and I, again, we're movie fans. You go back to, to Silent House, to the, the Mary Magdalene movie that she did. There's a reason she got this role by just doing indie films. 
So, and I think she proved it in the show why she deserved this role and why she's perfect and why she's a great actress. So she, yeah. to me, deserves an Emmy nomination. I mean, yeah, very far off, like you said. And yeah, very far off. This is going to be in the miniseries category, I would assume. I would think so, yeah. Who knows? It's on the title. <laughs> yeah. I, so I completely agree. Like, they, believe it or not, Wanted Vision or the soul of Wanda, the heart and soul of Wanda Vision. Uh, yeah, they both actors deserve a lot of praise. Uh, I think, like, I'm just going to add on because I, you know, everything you said about Elizabeth Olsen, totally valid. It's one of the best MCU performances we've gotten, period. Yeah. Um, like, I, I think it goes up there with, like, Michael B. Jordan in Black Panther. Um, Downey. Downey in Endgame. You know, like, we have these, like, phenomenal performances. And, yes, this, like, Elizabeth Olsen in WandaVision, absolutely among them. Um, I felt like there's also, like, a similar conversation to be had with Paul Bettany where instead of how did they cast this up-and-comer, they're like, okay, this is a veteran actor. Like, Paul Bettany has been around for years, and he's, like, phenomenal. He's always been seen as, like, one of the most underrated actors of all time. (laughs) And it's like, okay, and he gets to play the robot, and then he gets to play this kind of, like, soulless robot. Right, yeah. Up until then, uh, where, you know, he's got some emotion and he has some connection, but, uh, you know, he's, like, pretty much like a glorified version of Data from Star Trek. (laughs) Basically. Totally, like, devoid of most emotion. And then we get to see him, like, really, like, add life to the character in these sitcom moments. And he, like... He really, he really sold it uh, in those first few episodes. Like, he really did carry mm-hmm. a lot of that um, on his shoulders, especially, I think, the, um, the third episode, the 70s sitcom. Yeah. Yep. Like, between the, first of all, like, the styling, um, like, the makeup and costume design for yeah, everyone, like, you know, they deserve props. They, they were able to very seamlessly, like, transition – you know, the characters in the sets from, like, one decade to the other right, yeah. always fit perfectly. But, uh, you know, even when the script, like, I think for the sitcom moments, they were they were great. They fit the vibe. The tone was there. Um, mm-hmm. But they're obviously supposed to be comedic. Right, yeah. Com of sitcom. And they weren't always, like, actually funny. Like, it was it was silly. It was, it was to kind of, you know, exhale a little loudly. Right, kind of but there, I, I don't think I like got a single genuinely belly laugh, which is fine because I just think with where the show was going, yeah, you know, it was more about that intrigue than actually making yeah. you laugh. But I think like his performance did sell like that. This is like more comedic. It like even though the show itself wasn't genuinely funny, like he had that uh, charisma and he had that kind of performance that added. I think he just added a lot to it. And then, you know, later on in the show, um, you know, he went back to his normal vision thing, which is fine. You know, he does it well. But I just think we were able to see more of what he was able, what he could bring to that character and just more from him as an actor. Well, well, even that, even when he's back into his vision persona, what I think the show does really, really well is, again, showcase for Wanda, again, this grief, this loss that she suffered, but also for Vision, it's this journey for him from the very beginning of identity, 
who am I? And I think if there's one thing, again, the finale does so well is it brings those themes to a culmination and especially that theme of identity when the, the both visions are going up against each other and it ends after kind of all this action goes on, it ends in the, in this methodical, like, it's like kind of like trading of the brains between these two beings. And it's about the, the, the ship of Theseus and, and it, am I the real vision or, or am I the real thing or what happens if, if the wood rots, but you, you, you use the same wood, but it's, it's refurbished. Are you the, still the same thing? Are we the same thing? Like, I love that back and forth that they have with one another. And then at the end, that, that's that, that, that dialogue, of course, the dialogue in episode eight of what is grief if not love persevering, that's going to be one of the most iconic lines, I think, in MCU history period at this point. Absolutely. But, but the thing at the very end where you kind of get the, the, the vision journey encapsulated in one line where it's also kind of a, a meta point of Paul Bettany's journey as Jarvis in, in 2008's Iron Man to where he is now, where I am a, I was a, a voice with no body. I was a, I was a body, but not a human. I'm human now. What, what, what will, what will I be next? Again, leaving kind of that door open of where vision can go. So it's, it's this identity of this new vision of what is he, is he really vision or is he an amalgamation? And we obviously learn later on that he's an amalgamation, but he's trying to find that out as he goes along. And I think Paul Bettany to his credit does a great job of, again, doing what Elizabeth Olsen did in, in, and showcasing all these different layers that we never experienced before. Yeah, I, so kind of to like expand upon that, how, and I go back to the last episode now, how do you think, how do you feel about the way they concluded, I guess, I believe you put air quotes around concluded Vision's character, um, Again, with, with what we got throughout this season of WandaVision, I thought they did a great job in concluding it. Because again, as we realized, it was this this journey for Vision that was never going to make it out of this alive. And he fully realizes that, you know what? we And he says it at the end, this isn't a, if we've died before, we'll see each other again, which is, again, it's, like, it's a freaking heartbreaking line. It's something from like Romeo and Juliet, honestly. <laughs> and it's, and it's, it's just like, we'll see each other again some way, somehow. And I think he knows that. And we know as the audience that this other vision now has the memories of, of vision and people have been wondering, well, he has all the, all the memories. He doesn't have the Westview memories. He only has the memories leading up to Wakanda and Avengers Infinity War. So now we get this comic accurate depiction of the gray vision where he has all the, he has all the memories, but he doesn't have the emotion. And as the comics go on, I think in the MCU as well, we're going to see this vision somewhere down the line, come back with Wanda and see where, where it's going to go with her. So I think that point is going to be interesting, but Jason, I do want to get your thoughts though, talking about the future and what we're going to get of 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 the post credit scenes and the first one that i want to talk about is obviously the one that sets up monica rambo for looks like captain marvel 2 with the scrolls and referencing potentially nick fury do you where do you think her character can go from here after the introduction of monica monica rambo captain marvel 2 i like i i'm like rooting for captain marvel 2 because i just i found that the first captain marvel was like pretty underwhelming it felt like kind of a like we kind of went back to old MCU, um, like old unremarkable MCU origin. You know, people like to you know sugarcoat it, but right. those first yeah. few movies, yeah, they, they weren't it. They weren't yeah. it like they are now. And I 
really felt like that's how that movie felt. But now they got Nia DaCosta. Nia DaCosta or DaCosta? Uh, DaCosta. DaCosta. I, in, in 10 years, I'm going to look back at this and be very embarrassed to myself when she's like the biggest filmmaker ever. Um, She'll forgive you. I, I, but I'm like, I'm really invested in what she's going to bring to that story. And I think having the Monica Rambo connection, I think is going to be helpful in adding some heart to that, that franchise. And especially, you know, they, you know, they, they reference it briefly, but um, her mom who Captain Marvel was friends with in the first one, whose name I am forgetting. <laughs> uh, Maria, she, Maria, Maria. Yeah. Maria Rambo. She passed away. And I'm sure that's obviously going to be a big theme of it. I, yeah, like, I get people being let down because they obviously wanted some Doctor Strange stuff, but we're going to get the Doctor Strange stuff. Uh, yeah. I think it did just enough because now we have Monica Rambo, and I think that's going to end up being, like, one of the most important characters that gets established from this series because it's not going to be, uh, it's not going to be, like, Hayward or whatever. Right. Yeah. yeah he, <laughs> like I think he's she's gone. like he's done. Yeah, she's gonna be like a hero now. Mm-hmm. Um, she's gonna like actually probably become part of the greater MCU down the line. Which I'm all for. I thought, you know, the character they did just enough with her. Uh and be a little more interested to see what else they can do because I do think she was a tad on the wooden side. Uh but there's absolutely potential there. And I'm very excited to see where yeah where that character goes and i do like that they at least started that bridge toward her and captain marvel too uh because yeah that's like what we probably are all thinking like how is that relationship going to go um between yeah with her and captain marvel well i think what's i want to something you brought up that i think is interesting that i want to talk about and it kind of goes back to the fiatro aspect that we were talking about but when you brought up monica and there was this whole thing in the middle of the season with the aerospace engineer people thought it was reed richards what do you what are your thoughts about again fan perception fan creation theories and we kind of talked about this a little bit but for this show do you think that it was a little bit of a letdown for the show for a lot of people i think it was such like they brought it up but it's not something they dwelled on so I felt like it would have been pretty weird for it to be like, oh, it's Reed Richard. Here's John Krasinski. Um, we don't even know who the like, it, to, are. It, to me, it felt like you could have missed that. Like you could have totally missed that. Mm-hmm. Like if you weren't into the comics, like I said, like I read more about that after the show. Like I heard the line and was like, oh yeah, like who is that? And then stuff right. started happening. And then we were at the end of the show. And then... I was doing my research after and people were like, who is this aerospace engineer? I'm like, oh yeah, like who is that guy? But like, it's like the normal person probably doesn't like think about it like that. Um, so I, I felt like, yeah, it's, it's weird you brought it up, but you know, I think that's like, that's like the appropriate level of Easter eggs for the fans. And you know, the fans can sit with it and ponder its existence right. for years. <laughs> but I, yeah, I thought that was, I don't know who it is. Like, maybe it's Reed Richard. I don't know. Um, Do you think that the cast... be like something totally lame. 
do you think that the cast shot themselves in the foot when promoting this? Because I think, again, we all know with Marvel films that that they only have to do a press tour before the opening of the film. They don't reveal a whole lot. They they hype up the film. They do their thing. This is the first time, again, they're doing a a television show, and it goes on for more than just – a week. So I, so we got more interviews with the cast and we got the whole thing with Paul Bettany where I worked with an actor I haven't worked with ever. And, and I, I've always wanted to work with this person. In the end, we find out that it was him that he wanted to work with. He got to work with himself and Elizabeth Olsen. That was funny, by the way. That was funny. That, that was him being cheeky. And, and I don't mind that stuff. That's, that, and I think he really, he even said later on in Good Morning America, he said, if, if I could redo that again, I would maybe have done it differently than I did then because then it, it went you know the fans went to, to, to town they said oh it's going to be ian mckellen it's going to be sir patrick stewart it's going to be a hugh jackman coming into into play here and and then the whole thing with elizabeth olsen where this is a little bit more trickier where she didn't say there was going to be luke skywalker level cameo but somebody asked the question is there going to be a cameo on that level where fans can anticipate and i think in that situation I think any of us would try to answer in the best way possible where she said, yeah, we have something on that level that I think fans are going to be excited about. And I think that was either that was before the Pietro thing. So that could have been Pietro that she was talking about, or that could have been maybe vision that she was also talking about as well. So do you think the cast shot themselves in the foot in terms of hindering the film a little bit? Because even the director before the finale said, yeah, with some of these theories, fans are going to be a little disappointed, and, and that turned out to, to be the case by the end. So do you think that the promotion throughout the season shot in, shot themselves in the foot just a tad bit? Oh, yeah. Like, it, <laughs> look, you got to realize, uh, you're, you're dealing with uh, Marvel fans on the internet. You better be very careful. Very careful. Keep them happy. Yeah. And, I mean, at the end of the day, like, the correct answer is how do you keep them happy? Uh, the, the actual answer is you don't. <laughs> they don't know you're not going to be like a group of and any group of dedicated fans, like whether it be the DC Universe, whether it be Star Wars, whether it be Marvel, whether it be Game of Thrones, whatever. Like whatever group of dedicated fans, like they're going to want what they want and they're all going to want contradicting things. They're not going to make them all happy. Yep. But I mean, okay, so I'm going to start with the Elizabeth Olsen thing. I do think the ratings have been good for the show. I do, like, in my conspiracy theory mind, I do think, like, they're like, hey, like, ratings are good, but this is Marvel. We don't settle for good. (laughs) We don't settle for, for, like, third top-rated show. Like, (laughs) we're the top. (laughs) So they definitely were like, hey, um, so we're going to, like, reveal Quicksilver soon. So if you want to, like... Hint that there's going to be some crazy stuff coming up. And that's absolutely what happened. And then I think that also added to people's upsetment with the Quicksilver thing is when they're like Luke Skywalker level cameo. You see the uh, Evan Peters come in. You're like, that's the cameo. And then it'd be like if in uh, Mandalorian, you see Luke Skywalker, you're like, it's Luke Skywalker. And they're like, no, it's actually some guy named Ralph Boner. (laughs) And you're like, what? No. Um, He takes it off. Evan Peters, surprise. Uh, like, I, I do think it's like, yeah, like, yeah, that absolutely, but that felt intentional. And with the Paul Bettany thing, it's like, I think because so many fans read into everything so much and they're trying to take so many little details that really did kind of feel like him taking the piss out of that. <laughs> and that's why it, I actually thought that was really funny is because it's like, 
yeah, like he's just like being a jerk about it, like outwardly. <laughs> people are reading into it like crazy and then when you actually see what he's referring to and he's just like oh yeah like the actor i've always wanted to work with and never had the chance myself yeah it's like oh that's funny <laughs> it's, it's, it's that cheeky british humor that you can get away with if you're british you can get away with that stuff and i think if you're british he, yeah he is very much but again because i think you can be cheeky in that way i think it gets a little bit a little bit of a pass so yeah again i i think I don't think it, it it did hinder it a little bit. And I think moving forward when it comes to Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Loki, I think Kevin Feige and the Marvel PR team are going to be kind of saying to themselves, listen, don't, we, we, we got, we, we got to think long-term here. Like, like in terms of this, this, this isn't just a one shop thing. You're going to be interviewed for a few weeks or they're going to ask about things. So make sure again, you're always keeping it kind of close to the vest. So I think this is, it'll be a learning experience for Marvel moving forward to when it comes to their television shows, at least of marketing in a different way throughout the season. Cause again, when it comes to the initial marketing campaign they they got that down pat cause they've done it for 23 movies now 24 installments, but it comes to the additional interviews that come afterwards. So we'll see, but now I want to kind of get on to the second post credit scene now and talk about the, the, not the fission, the future of Marvel with Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness and the Scarlet Witch, which actually, before we even get to that, costume, Scarlet Witch, what do you think of it? Looks pretty cool. I'm, pretty, I'm a fan of it. I you like it. it? I mean, yeah, we only got to see a little of it, but like... It was cool. It looks pretty cool to me. I'm excited to see it in action, like, full-fledged. Full-fledged it's, action. Yeah, it's, it's what I imagined, because before, she was just like a, a person wearing maroon clothes. <laughs> but and now, think, yeah, she deserves a cool costume after this show. After yeah. all she's been through, she's earned it. She's, she's earned that Scarlet Witch costume. But now, though, the question becomes, will we see a Scarlet Witch that slowly becomes more of an antagonist? Because in the comics, Scarlet Witch is somebody who is has good intentions, but her powers are so vast and so powerful that even the Avengers and X-Men see her as kind of this existential threat that they can't even control. And now we're going to get, I think, Wanda slowly starting to learn stuff from the Darkhold, which we get a big reveal about, which is the Book of the Damned. And it's the MCU's version of it. And we get nods, nods of the Sorcerer Supreme, which I think will play in, obviously, to Doctor Strange too. And I think it showcases that Wanda's learning about her powers and also will be venturing into the multiverse to find her kids, which, again, after the hex was brought down, Vision and the kids are gone. And I think she's going to be looking into the multiverse to find them. And I think as she, as she tries to like go through the multiverse, it causes this havoc that Dr. Strange senses and gets him involved. What do you think about that, Jason? Yeah, what do you think about so my theory? I, I think it's pretty spot on. My, like perception of it has been I think what they're going to do to her character it's going to be very similar just on a little bit of a bigger scale of like how they would handle Hulk yeah where it's like yeah like he's just a physically overpowering monster where up until uh Infinity War uh was like not himself even so it's like how do we control like this mindless powerful being <laughs> you know, where it's like, and we know he's a good guy, but like when he hulks out, he hulks out. And I feel like it's going to be kind of a similar dynamic with 
Scarlet Witch, where there's going to be di- that dynamic of her keeping her powers in check, keeping her, um, I don't say emotions in check, but it's like, you know, being able to control her powers with everything she's been through and with everything that, you know, whatever her negative influences might be uh, going forward. I think that's really where that's going to go. And that could lead to some interesting things. I don't think it's going to be crazy. I don't think we're going to movie where they're like, Oh no, we have to fight Scarlet witch. But um, yeah, I think, I think it's going to just add some complexity to her character. It's just going to be something that's like always in the back of our minds and the character's minds. And again, I think it's going to be something where, again, if you just go and watch Doctor Strange 2 and if they include it where this is a new adventure and you see, oh, well, Monica's the Scarlet Witch now, like, and they tell a complete story in Doctor Strange 2 and you're wondering, well, how did she become the Scarlet Witch and, and what happened before? You can go recommend, like, hey, go watch WandaVision and check out the origins of how she became who she was in Doctor Strange 2. So that's the fluidity of Marvel that makes it so special. And Jason, to kind of wrap up here, in the end, when we think about the show, and I think there are a lot of pros and cons when we think about the show in its entirety, I certainly have my issues with it, but I think overall it's a great show and a great addition to the MCU that really thought outside the box and for the most part I think landed really well with the, what they wanted to accomplish. But how will you remember this show and where do you think it ranks amongst the, the top of the MCU properties that have come out so far? Well, it's tough to rank it, so I wouldn't do that. But not just because – it's a, a miniseries, you know, ranking amongst film, but also because it's intentionally disjointed, it's, it's tough to even evaluate as a full product like that. But for what it is, I'm curious to see how it'll rank among the other shows. I'm willing to bet anything that I'm going to like it a little more, at least a little more than Falcon and Winter Soldier. Um, no offense to that movie, that show. It could surprise me. Um, but I do feel like once it's going to be tough to go from something so like experimental for Marvel to going to something that I imagine is going to be more of a back to basics. Yeah, which again is uh, is interesting because again before COVID, the original schedule was Falcon and the Winter Soldier was supposed to be the first Disney Plus MCU show, probably because of that, and then the second yeah. one was going to be WandaVision. But because yeah, of COVID the pandemic, feel, it didn't fit that way. Yeah, it's going to feel a little weird with all that. I think but overall i'm going to leave with a good impression of it like it's a to me i'd probably say it's like a three and a half star out of five like seven out of ten kind of deal okay where it had a lot of interesting things going on and exciting to see some new uh in the camera in the mcu seeing some new tones being handled uh, you know, I have high expectations for Multiverse of Madness, and I think this kind of showed, like, the, you know, bizarre for Marvel's sake uh, side of everything. It did, you know, kind of devolve into standard Marvel fare, and I do think for, like, their television stuff moving forward, I am going to want to see them handle that stuff a little better, because I think we can agree, like, while the action at the climax, it had its, you know, good moments, you know, it didn't feel like when you watch Mandalorian this last season toward the end, you're like, this is absolutely cinema grade uh, Star Wars content I'm consuming here. Like this is absolutely like how a movie would look 
Right. Yeah. And with WandaVision at the end, you're like, yeah, this is what a Disney Plus original miniseries from the MCU would look like. It's not bad, but you can tell why this is not on the big screen. I So I think it showed a lot of potential for what they're doing with the Disney Plus stuff. It has me excited to go into stuff like Loki, especially. Like, I think it shows that there could be some interesting stuff moving forward. Um, but overall, special enough, but not not something that I'm going to, like, personally hold as, like, you know, an all-time great superhero project. Like, I think it's just a, a solid, interesting step for MCU. See, over, for me overall, I think this was that I think the finale takes it down a notch just because of, again, it feels a little rushed, but I think what Marvel was able to do with this is something that they've never been able to do before. And again, it's talking about is introducing these characters and introducing these, these themes of that we haven't experienced before. And again, when we talk about consequence and things that have happened in the MCU beforehand, they all lead up to something like this, where you have a character study really of somebody that's going through grief, emotion, loss, and, provision identity crisis and and wondering who you are as as a being and i think it deals with family and and going to the sitcom aspect and even though i think the week to week was interesting and i think it i was growing a little tired of the of the the sitcom just a little bit but i was still intrigued enough that i love the the production style the, the 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 camera work and how they really really adapted and stuck to their guns and making it adaptable as possible with every single decade and so i thought this was a genius marvel project i loved everything they did with it i would personally give it like an eight nine out of ten within that range i think it is an amazing project and even if even though it's a silver lining in terms of the fact that this wasn't supposed to start off the mcu i think this was a great way to kind of kick off this new era where again you have a show that you weren't you were you didn't know if a lot of people were going to be invested in you didn't know how people were going to respond to something outside the box and you saw the way that it became this phenomenon culturally where people were memeing it people were tiktoking it with agatha all along and and mm-hmm. all these different lines like the if, if the grief and what is grief of not love persevering all these different things that got people attracted to this show overall that you wouldn't expect to actually happen. And Marvel's doing it on the television front now. What they were doing in movies, they're doing on on the small screen. It, it just, it keeps on rolling. And again, did they have some issues in the finale a little bit? Yes. And I think that takes it down a, a notch or two. But I think overall, when you look at the entire show, it just, it, it works so incredibly well. I think it will be remembered for something that was different and new. And yeah, it gets, it gets an eight out of 10 for me on, on the front of, of being that kind of, of show that being that kind of a, of a character study and Jason kind of to wrap up everything here, what are you looking forward to moving forward in the MCU? Like Falcon winter soldier, what are your expectations for that? I know you just said that you, you don't think it might not be as good as, as WandaVision, but are you excited to see what else they're going to do moving forward with those shows? I'm excited for the shows in general. I just think well, I think Falcon and Winter Soldier being next for me, it's just it maybe it will work to its advantage. My expectations, I don't want to say low, like I think it's going to be bad, but low in the sense where I think it's going to be less remarkable. Um, I can't imagine it blowing me away 
in it being like a week by week. Oh my God. Did you, what's happening next week? What is going on? It's going to be a, Oh, that's kind of cool. Oh, that was like a fun action sequence. Uh, Loki on the other hand, I'm like super excited for that one. I'm excited for that one. Like, I think that's going to be a ton of fun. And yeah, I think this shows just, like I said, I think it shows potential for these series. I think it shows potential for uh, Disney Plus as a whole. It's just being like a genuine place for quality content uh, because I feel like it's been kind of, I don't want to say it's going through an identity crisis, but it is a little confused and, okay, is this like, like, what are we putting here? Like, is this just like our bonus content? Or is this like, because sometimes it's like, okay, you're putting the movies here that aren't going to go in theaters. Like, you know, right? it's, you know, your your live action Lady in the Tramps and your Flora and Ulysses, where it's like, yeah, if Disney Plus existed back in the day, like this is exactly where um, Lion King one and a half would go. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like you're getting so much of that content. I know there's gems in there of people. You're like, Pogo is worth it. I'm like, I'm sure it is. Um, right, or, or like Ryan the Last Dragon or something like that. Well, Ryan the Last Dragon's different. <laughs> but, I mean, like, in terms of Disney Plus original content, um, there is, there's just, like, this big gap in, like, between Mandalorian and, like, um, the making or, of Frozen 2. Right. Where it's yeah. like, yeah, there are just just leagues apart not maybe not in quality it's just completely different things but just the level of content you're getting from them and i think this show is like okay like we're going to put shows that we can talk about that you're going to be invested in that are going to be good on here um like we're we're truly like adding to this we're making this essential and because disney they're smart it's like right at the end of your one year free trial like Look at all this stuff we have all of a sudden. Exactly. Uh, the MCU's, literally this year, we have, including the movies, we have 10 MCU projects coming out. Yeah, and it's like, you know, of course, me, you know, I mean, $6 a month, like, whatever. I can, I can, I can swing that pretty easily amongst yeah. everything else, but it's like a little frustrating from my point of view where I'm like, I got this free for a year. I used it to watch, like, the one season of Mandalorian, and then I watched, like, The Simpsons, and then occasionally... Damn. Yeah, well, yeah, Hamilton. And then besides that, it was like, okay. But Hamilton even was like, okay, they act, they had to put that on there. Oh, yeah. Because, like, we're in the middle of a pandemic, and they're like, yeah, we got this. We'll make right. it. Right, oh, of course. Um, But, like, besides that, it's like, oh, maybe I wanted to watch Guardians again, or I wanted to watch, like, Finding Nemo again, or something like that. Like, that's really, besides, like, a couple one-off examples like that like i barely used it and now i'm like man i have to pay for this now and i can't get rid of it because like now i want it (laughs) i wasn't even using it before (laughs) right and to and to wrap it all up here kind of kind of talking about disney plus a little bit i think one of the great things also that wandavision brought up again and mandalorian both seasons also did as well but i think wandavision really brought it back to the forefront is weekly is weekly watching and the fact that television used to always be week by week and then netflix introduced the the binge mode aspect of it so uh, jason for you did you like the fact that it was week by week or did you want to kind of binge the whole thing what what do you think about that that addition to it that the dichotomy between weekly watching and binge watching and how big of a 
of a dynamic shift could it have had if WandaVision was binged all the way through? Do you think it would have had the same impact or do you think the weekly aspect of it is more positive than negative right now with these big shows? I I can only speak from my own personal perspective, but I have a feeling overall there would be more people less annoyed by it if it was all at once because I feel like part of the reason is people had a full week to theorize on things that didn't pan out and I think that just led to people feeling let down. For me personally, I think the week by week worked perfectly well because just literally by the setup of it where it was like every episode was a different decade. So it's like, yeah, I do feel like it's justified as being like a new thing every week. And you're curious what, and I, I like having the conversation among my friends with you every week about Mm -hmm. what's going to happen next. What do we think of this episode? And just again, having that excitement for something every week, it's nice. Like I'm sure you felt that like Thursday night being, Oh man, tomorrow. Um, you know, I didn't feel it the same way I did with Mandalorian where that was, you know, I felt like that was like a big epic story every week. So I was like genuinely really excited to see what was going to be happening. Right. Episode to episode where this, I enjoyed it just because I'm excited to see what gets added to this larger story. But again, yeah, the presentation was that where week by week totally worked um, because a lot of the episodes did feel self-contained in a way, despite like being a part of a larger story. I don't know how it's going to work moving forward, but like, I'm not against week to week binging. I'm week not binging week to week week to week watching. Um, you know, there's still plenty of shows that I watch week to week, um, and I like it. I I personally am a fan of it. I'm glad that MCU or Disney Plus is doing that. I'm glad that Amazon's been doing that with some of the shows. Like I enjoyed it for the boys. Mm-hmm. I thought that worked well for it. Um, and I think it took a little too long for uh, streamers to start putting their foot down and be like, no, like this is genuinely how we think this is going to be best consumed. Right. And, you know, you know, people can get, I assume it's a vocal minority, but, you know, that minority can be loud and annoying and one star rate things because they're mad because they can't watch another 20 minutes right now. Right. Yeah. I think like, yeah, get, get over it. Like this is, this is how it's been for decades. And I think that uh, whether it be the studio or the individual making it, like I think that from an artistic standpoint, there should be variety in how you release your art. And I think you should plan that around how you think it will be best received. And there's not a doubt in my mind that, you know, I would, if it all came out in early January, this whole show, like, we would not be talking about it now in mid-March, Yeah, you know? And I like the fact that we had that longevity. We had that journey with the show. It wasn't a one-week thing. Right. Also, to carry us over from Falcon Winter to Falcon Winter Soldier, like, yeah, they could have dropped it off, and then you have to wait two months instead of two weeks for your exactly. next MCU thing, and then you're going to be complaining again. Exactly. <laughs> I'm, and- I'm, like, picking a fight with these imaginary MCU <laughs> fans now. <laughs> you got you to gotta go on Twitter for that and experience that fight. Yeah, it all I, I, I keep that... I keep that to myself. So, and yeah, no, listen, I agree. I don't need like Tony Stark fan 45 attacking me. Yeah. (laughs) Well, listen, no, I agree with you. And I always say this on my podcast too, is that as much as I love something like a stranger things for me, stranger things three huge in July, but after July, 
didn't hear a single thing about it afterwards. Once people watch it, like once people watch the finale and like a week after it comes out, that's it. People aren't going to talk about it anymore. So I definitely agree with that. Yeah. You see that with these things. And I think with Netflix, it works because a lot of its original properties, like, yeah, it's kind of cool with something like the queen's gambit to watch it all at once because people are like, like a little movie. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's a little movie. And when the hype gets big about that around that a week or two after it comes out, people aren't going to want to get invested when a show is like two episodes in three episodes in and they're like, Oh, now I have to like catch up. Like, when it's all there, like, oh, I can just binge this whole right. thing and, like, be part of the conversation now. Right. Um, I think, yeah, it, it just, like I said, I think every product can have its own right. uh, release strategy. I think it deserves it. I think it's totally rational and fair, uh, you know, for people to release things how it does. I don't think the industry should shift from one way or the other. I'm totally but- okay with having my options. No, absolutely. And to your point about uh, Queen's Gambit, again, that show kind of became word of mouth phenomenon. And the same thing with something like a Bridgerton, where I think first seasons of shows like that, you can catch up with the word of mouth and then you want to see what everyone's watching. But when it comes to like season two of Bridgerton, is that going to be the same thing? Or people, is that show now at a, at a point as a highly anticipated project now where people are going to want to binge that in the first weekend, kind of like what Stranger Things does or The Crown, and it'll just be consumed up in a week or so and that'll be it. So that's the interesting yeah. aspect that I think people that to take away from streaming and, and weekly. And I think again, because of what Disney plus is doing, and like you said, the boys are doing it. Hulu does it. A lot of others are doing it, but I think because of the high profile aspect of a lot of the Disney plus IP, it's, it's coming more to the forefront now, especially after WandaVision. And the last thing I want to ask Jason, before we wrap up here and we thanks for having you on as always, whether it's this award season, we'll have you on next week for the Oscar nominations, which Oh Again, kind of crazy. That's next week. That's next week, March 15th. Right it's crazy, but we'll, we'll definitely have you on for that if you're available. We'll love to have you on for that. I'll be there. Don't worry. But the last thing I want to ask you is MVP for WandaVision. It can be a thing. It can be a person in front of the camera, behind the camera. Who is your MVP of WandaVision? I don't want to – okay. The, like the actual answer is Elizabeth Olsen, obviously. Like she's yep. the show. Um, so I'm not going to go with the obvious answers. Everyone knows. Um, I think the MVP is, can I have like, can I have like three MVPs? Sure. Three way <laughs> Like a tier list where it's like, yeah, Elizabeth Olsen, like legit. Yeah. Okay. Um, Agatha all along, big winner. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, in the song, it's, it's catchy. It it's is. fun. It's like the it's like the most entertained I was of the whole show. <laughs> like that little moment. I was like, this is perfect. Yeah. Um, and then finally, it's just going to give it up to Jimmy Woo. Jimmy Woo. He's just like Randall Park is like the most likable actor on the planet. And he has always been like the secret sauce to whatever he's been a part of. Uh, you know, just like going back to even like the interview it was like, mm-hmm. he was like the best part of that movie. I'm telling you, yeah. And then he didn't get his big, it didn't get to be his big thing because of, uh, you know, the... Everything that uh, happened on that Almost product. having to go to war over it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's just a testament to how great his portrayal of Kim Jong-un was. Yeah. Uh, but he had uh, Fresh Off the Boat, which, you know, I know, uh, you know, it got like a decent amount of attention. Um, but... That is like, it, but it like definitely felt like 
he was always primed to do more in that he was in the Ant-Man movies and you were like, I really like him. He was funny though. And he's funny though, and he matched the tone so well with these other comedic actors. So to see him like kind of branch out and be himself and to still be like just such a fan favorite. Um, like I know there's talks now. I don't know if they're like real talks or like Twitter talks about him getting his own like X Files scene. Yeah, it's it's like, like inspired it's show fantastic. where he. Yeah, because that just sounds like wasn't that what Agents of Shield was supposed to be? Basically, like like that, that's what it ended up being. So like yeah, they're saying like making it's like they want to redo that. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think Kevin, I don't Kevin know. I don't want, want them to, to ruin the magic of Jimmy Woo. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't want to ruin the magic of Jimmy Woo. Me either. But I, think, I still think he's an awesome character. <laughs> yeah, he's awesome. And also, I think another kind of underdog is Kat Dennings. Again, kind of talking about like what um, Randall Park went through with Jimmy Woo. She's another one where she was a supporting character. She's hysterical. She's great as an actress. And I think she really got the shine in this show as well. But she's not my MVP. And I kind of like have like a 1A, 1B, where like, like you, Elizabeth yeah. Olsen to me is like me. 1A. She's 1A to me in front of the camera. Um, actual best. What's that? No, like the actual, yeah. Like, yeah, no, she's the like, actual star to me. I, I, have two, I have two of them. One in front of the camera is Elizabeth Olsen. I, I, I truly do believe she deserves an Emmy. And she delivered an, an all-time great performance in the MCU in this show. She just did unbelievable work, unmatched, especially episode eight, I think. If you want to submit an Emmy for her, she carries episode eight and she does a phenomenal job with that performance. But to me, the, the, the MVP that I think a lot of people should be giving a lot of credit to behind the camera, especially is Matt Shackman, the director of WandaVision where he directed all nine episodes. And especially for a, a, a show like this, where as a director, you have to be in the mindset of, of being a sitcom director in front of a live studio audience and then moving over to something like a Family Ties and then mockumentary like like episode seven in the 2000s and then moving forward with the kind of the epic MCU action and delivering on those nuanced performances like in episode eight. I just think for, I've been singing his praises throughout the season, but seeing as a whole now, I cannot sing his praises enough as a director. I think, I hope he does more in the MCU. I hope he gets more work after this. He gets a lot more notoriety. So I, he, to me, is my MVP for the season, just being able to keep the ship right and to make sure everything was kind of consistent while also feeling, feeling different and new every single episode, like another director was taking over, but it was him throughout every single episode. He brought it, he delivered, and I'm excited to see what he does next, not MC related or MC related if he decides to come back to this world. So he's my MVP. That's not Elizabeth Olsen, like you were saying. Do you have anything yeah. to add to yeah, that? No, I, everything you said, totally agree. I mean, that from, from a directing standpoint, like the fact that he was able to so, uh, you know, he was able to capture the feeling of those sitcoms so well. It, it just, you know, totally different approaches to everything. And I mean, that goes to show when you look at his uh, filmography, I mean, you'll notice a lot of television. I just think that goes to show like his years of experience as a television director like paid off because it was just him get having to like put on a million different hats for every episode and it totally paid off i'm very curious to see what they could do with him moving forward if they're going to keep him in the tv realm or if after what he did here they want to like move him you know they want to move him to the big leagues yeah i think he's ready for it you know you think he's more than proven himself 
He's done that. And also he, he's a child actor from sitcom. So he's worked in the sitcom world and he worked on two episodes of season seven of Game of Thrones. So he had that epic. He won an Emmy, I think. Yeah, he won an Emmy for that. I think it was a fourth episode that he directed when it was the big uh, dragon sequence with Daenerys on, on Hightower or Highgarden. Yeah. So he delivered on awesome action and epic action as well. So he, he has all this experience in all these different fields. And also, again, this wasn't a, a show that was completed all the way through before COVID. They had to stop filming. They had to come back. They were editing while also at the same time finishing up the show. It was in an interview that he just did today that he said that the, the reason that they didn't put – the three episodes, the first three episodes in one week, because a lot of people thought, oh, we could have done these three episodes in one week. They wanted to do that, but because they weren't done with the finale, they finished two weeks. They finished like prepping, editing, mm-hmm. post-production complete on the final episode two weeks before the finale aired. So for him to kind of continue the ship going for all those months and to continue directing it and keeping the ship together, like I was saying before, Major props to him. And, and of course, major props to everybody. The head writer, Jack Schaefer, her writer's room, everybody behind the scenes for keeping that going throughout COVID as well. Just an absolutely incredible job. Totally. I'm, yeah, very, very exciting things could be potentially happening yeah. uh, behind the scenes talent in the MCU. We will for see. For we'll see where, where it ends up. Yeah, for all of them, for, for him and Jack Schaefer as well, who's been doing a lot of MCU stuff with Black Widow and Captain Marvel. She was a writer on that film as well. So they'll be around hopefully for a long, long time. But Jason, that's going to wrap up our WandaVision spoiler recap review. Again, I hope you all enjoyed being with us once again. And Jason, will again, hopefully we can have you back on Monday for Oscar nomination talk next week. But until then, where can people find you? Do you want to shout out any social media handles where people can yeah, I. You know, I'm pretty quiet on social media compared to Sam. Um, <laughs> maybe one day I'll be more vocal. And you okay. can see if I'm vocal at just at Jason Abdow. Um, I'm on Twitter, mainly just Twitter. I, I have my own blog, uh, criticaldarling.com. It's a little underused right now, um, but you can see some occasional, uh, you know, some lists and music-related articles. Uh, I like to dabble in the music side of things as well, um, discuss that. But, yeah, that's uh, that's where you can find me. All right. And, uh, well, I get we won't have you on because the, the Grammys are this weekend, and I guess we could talk about it next week. Oh, man. But, but any thoughts on the Grammys? I mean, again, I go to you for music stuff, so before we wrap up, anything on that? Yeah, the Grammys about there? <laughs> that's all I need to say. The Grammys suck. It doesn't matter. Uh, for whoever me. deserves to win won't. Um, no, that's not true. There'll be a couple. There'll be a couple. Justice um, for a weekend, though, right? Justice for the weekend. Justice for the weekend, always. <laughs> uh, justice for a lot of people. Um, yeah, there'll be like some, like Fiona Apple's probably going to win a couple Grammys, and I'm excited for that to happen because uh, her her album Fetch the Bolt Cutters that came out last year was just, like absolutely incredible. It's one of the greatest albums of the last few years. Uh, yeah, and probably like Taylor Swift and Dua Lipa and we'll probably win some other awards that are bigger. <laughs> right. and, and, and I like them. I like them too. So I actually can't be that upset. But uh, that's, all, that's all I have to say right. about that. 
We'll, we'll definitely, again, we'll have you on for Oscars if you're available, and we'll talk a little bit more about it once it's actually all done and said. But until then, again, Jason, it was great to have you on, buddy, and we'll hopefully we'll get to see you on Monday for Oscar nominations. Big day then, big day today, the finale of WandaVision released this weekend. We just talked about it. What do you guys think about it? Leave your comments down below in the section on YouTube to talk about it. If you're listening to it on video, if you're listening to it on audio, leave your comments down on SoundCloud or, or on the biggest podcast solutions. Wherever you're listening to this, let me know your thoughts. I love to know what you guys think about it. Also, you can hit me up on Twitter at Bissell Samuel. That's B-U-S-S-E-L-L-S-A-M-U-E-L. And also, if you're looking at the video format of this, you can find me on YouTube at the Sam Bissell Podcast. I teased this earlier on some of the earlier segments of my podcast, but I'm going to have this review, or not review, but this interview coming out for the Zack Snyder's Justice League that's coming out, a big interview that's coming in the next few days. That'll be up. I'll announce it. And you'll find out all about it in the next few days. All great goodness coming for the next few weeks. So a lot to talk about, a lot to get into. We'll have Jason back on again, hopefully on Monday. So Jason, once again, thank you so much for being here, buddy. And thank you for having me as always, Sam. Pleasure's all, right. all mine, really. <laughs> all right, no, pleasure's all mine. But thank you again, buddy. And, and we'll see everybody next time. So thanks for tuning in, everybody.